that football group is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're here live on a Monday morning on YouTube. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Come check it out. Check it out live or check it out in podcast land because it's time. We're just dropping it on you. Time for what? Preview season. Oh. We're going to preview the season, the 2022 season preview, Sam. It's upon us. Is that why you're back in the Josh Allen jersey? Yeah, it's AFC East Day. I see. And NFC East Day, and this is the only jersey that I have. I mean, when when we preview the AFC Central... I will have my Mark Brunel jersey. Brunel jersey. Yeah, for the Central. You can get a you can get like a new signed Jimmy Smith jersey. That man's like hawking Ooh. him on Twitter. You oh yeah, get yourself a custom made one or well, a custom. Signed I, should, I might send him a DM, tell him I'll rock it on the podcast. You should. He'll, well, I'm not sure if he'll give you for free, but he'll definitely tell you. No, the price. definitely not for free, but uh, it might help his Hall of Fame case. Like my new jersey. Uh, yeah, it's, it's look looks good. Yeah, the Irish and its magnificence. The Irish thing? Well, it's so I've said for ages that I would pay more money for like a de-branded jersey, you know, one that doesn't have Vodafone written the night right in the middle where you Yeah. And it turns out there is one. Oh, that's now, great. It's like but, a throwback thing. So but the throwback looks better anyway because, you know, they have collars and it looks like an old school rugby jersey. You should throw a PFF logo on it. We could, could we screen print it? Yeah. Or no, where's uh Mike Parker's like embroidery guy? We go down there and get get the PFF. He has thing a guy on the front. Or a girl. He's got someone down in uh, Kentucky that embroiders for him. Hmm. Let's get that going. All right. Um, okay, top of the show. It's Monday morning. We're live. I guess we have to talk about Deshaun Watson suspension. Yes. Well, we also have to get the housekeeping stuff out of the way first. So if you head to the pin tweet at our Twitter account at PFF NFL Pod. You will still find the survey that we would like. We got a bunch of people uh, reply to it after we we put out the call last time. Still want a few more before we wrap that up. So two minutes of your time. Help us make the PFF NFL podcast better for this upcoming season. And, you know, for the future in general. Helps you, helps us. Um, And then the other place we want to send you is my pin tweet, at PFF underscore Sam. Or it'll also be in the description uh, on YouTube or the description of this podcast generally. The GoFundMe for the latest charity drive. Uh, charity drive 7.0. Done seven, We've done, seven, done six huh? of these already. This will be the seventh. We've raised something like 20 grand so far for various different charities. This one is for a group called Needs, Inc., who do uh, service dogs. Because apparently those things, if you need one, cost upwards of $17,000 and 40 grand to train the thing. So, look, we want to do this thing where we find out how fast I can pitch a baseball randomly you know just a dude who never pitched anything maybe it's 90 used to play cricket back in the day when he was a kid uh that's about it in terms of throwing um what if how you fast secretly can I hit, pitch a baseball what if it's secretly 90 what well then you'll it? feel bad uh, but anyway we can't do any of it until we reach 
a goal till we Are raise you, some money, and so far we've raised forty dollars. You know who the player is that you put up there, right? I do, and yeah. and Tyler told me that it's remarkable how unlike his face, my face is. Yeah, that's all right. well, which I think is a good thing. That might be a good thing. Yeah, you know, he's a Randy Johnson's a former teammate of mine. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the two days they let me into a major league clubhouse <laughs> and sit in the bullpen, he was on the team. I walked by him. That's uh, that's why there's you know feathers spotting up. Oh yeah, that was great. What a special. Just pitch. I mean, that was the most ridiculous thing pigeon. maybe in the history of the world. Yeah. <laughs> the odds of Rand- of all the pitchers, too. Well, the thing Randy is, Johnson, the, the great thing about it is it probably works perfectly with the math, right? Like, how many baseballs have been pitched at major league parks in the last hundred and whatever years? It's about yeah. time somebody clocked a pigeon with one, right? That's a good point. Just mathematically. It's about time somebody hit a bird. All right, so go check out the, uh, the charity drive at PFF underscore Sam. Yeah. Uh, Deshaun Watson has been suspended yes. for six games. Do we have other house, housekeeping? No, I think that's it. Okay. Deshaun Watson suspended. So now you can make a nice smooth pivot into Deshaun Watson and sexual misconduct allegations. Okay. So let's do it again. Deshaun Watson has been suspended for six games yeah. by the NFL. Discuss. There were rumors. I mean, everybody, all the rumors were that it was, what, six to eight games that it was in that, well, that range? Was, it's been all over the place. It started off at a year. And then Mike Florio was the first person I said, start saying it's looking like six to eight, ends up at six. Um, remember, this is the first, I think, uh, decision that's come down, not from like the desk of Raj, you know, but yeah. from this independent, um, what's her name, Sue Robinson or something? Yes. Uh, this independent kind of, uh, I'm not sure what the technical term for her is, but arbitrator, person who's deciding what the punishment will be. And, of course, the NFL is in this difficult situation because the the lawsuits are still active, right? 23 of them or whatever. They've, they've agreed to settle a large number. But there's still a few that have not been. Um, so these things are still active. We don't actually know where that's going to go. So this is effectively a suspension for the sketchy behavior of putting yourself in the situation where things like this could happen, not for what he actually did or did not do, which is still to be determined. Uh, at which point, to me, six games feels foolish regardless of the outcome. Because if if he gets exonerated or settled and all the things disappear and it's just like, okay, you, you had 60-odd massages in a couple of years, that's a bit weird. Six games kind of feels a little random and arbitrary. On the other hand, if, if something actually comes of these lawsuits and he ends up being like legitimately found guilty of stuff then six games is pathetic like calvin ridley you said you hate the false equivalence uh, that's what's gonna, gonna get up. a year yeah. for like a 1500 buck parlay betting yeah. right? Norm- normally i don't like the false equivalency stuff but that's what's gonna come up right and that and, and it's a fair question right how does calvin ridley get a year for gambling on his team or not versus deshaun watson getting six i mean the other question is i hate discussing all of this but if it was two allegations rather than the mid 20s yeah is that still six games well that's like is it just the totality of like you did these things that are in this bucket like we're suspending you for this bucket of sexual misconduct or whatever that whatever you want to call that whether it was two or 27 it's it's a six game thing or does the the volume actually matter in this case it doesn't seem like it does no but it should because that's the thing right like we're in this world where Everybody has to have an opinion on it, and it has to be one side or the other because it's a black and white world we live in. So half the people think, well, these are just like a whole bunch of gold-digging women 
it's, it's all nothing, right? They're trying to get, get their 15 minutes of fame and a payoff, right? And then the other real way you have to believe women, why would you think anything else? You monster. And ultimately, if it was one or two, you could kind of come down either side, right? Without knowing any of the facts, it would be perfectly easy to just sit there and say one, one of those things or the other. Yeah. When it's 20-something women and he had 60-something massage therapists over like an 18-month period, immediately it's sketchy, right? Whatever the facts of the case, it's immediately weird and probably problematic before you go anywhere. And yet, you're right, that doesn't necessarily appear to be a big part of it. The good news is we're not going to spend that much time talking about this because we have a season to preview. But on PFF's YouTube channel, PFF at Night with Brad Spielberger, Ari, and Doug Kide is on at 8 p.m. on Mondays. That's tonight and Wednesday. So make sure you tune into that because I'm sure they will be talking all kinds of stuff about the suspension and giving you, you know, more insight than we're doing right now. Well done. Well done, because they will, they'll break it down a little bit more than we did. I think just um, for me to put a bow on it, six games out of the 17-game schedule, you'll get some of the comparisons to other people who have had four games, other people who have had full seasons, whatever it might be. Um, the reality of it, too, is we don't, because of the way this whole thing went, I mean, there's a whole bunch of settlements, right? So it's not... It's not a trial, so to speak. So you really don't get all of the facts to your point, right? You're not getting all the facts from both sides the whole way through. But it is a bad look when you see that the Browns paid him $40 million for this year. None of it goes away with the suspension. And that's probably the money that's being used to settle yeah, all this of is these costing cases. Him, this is costing him $300,000 or something because, you know, based off his tiny salary this year, his $1 million salary this season. Yeah, and then... You know he's got all this money for the um, for the settlements. Um, we'll talk about the football aspect of it. Six games out of seventeen—that's thirty-five percent, Sam. Thirty-five percent of the season. It is for uh, Deshaun Watson on our AFC North preview. So we'll preview the Norths probably on uh, on Thursday. All right, you ready to get into this? Yep. AFC East. This is how we did it last year. Sometimes we split the Easts up because it's you know the biggest fan bases, the AFC East and the NFC East. But you know, make it a monster here going to do it together we're going to preview the afc east the nfc east we're going to try to stick to 15 minutes per team at the I end mean, of the day one of your teams is going to get 20 one of them's going to get 10 already minus nine right now oh yeah i mean we're going to be over two hours it's fine we're ready lock it in here we go start with the buffalo bills i got my josh allen jersey for afc east preview day we'll we'll try to hit the let's let's try to hit season expectations biggest questions storylines uh, remind people what they've done this offseason to get to this point and also remind people at one point you know other shows might spend one show on a season preview but we have to split it into four. Oh yeah because we, we need the time well we don't team. have to we could go for 12 hours and preview the entire season but we think it's easier i've proposed that before i know and i've said god no god no don't do that only if powered by jeff rubies for the day yeah josh allen is fast becoming my favorite nfl quarterback He's obviously yours. You got the jersey. Yeah, I got the jersey. The jersey you own. Uh, did you see where he left Peter King hanging? Or no, yeah. Peter King left him hanging with the handshake post, you know, interview yeah. in the training camp. And his reaction to that was just fantastic. Yeah. He, like reached out for a handshake. Peter just turns says a bit to the camera. And then just is laughing with the cameraman the whole way, like hand out until Peter's Peter King big time. Like, you see, the thing about that, Josh, is back in 84, Marino had his yeah. hand out 
I was a young, I was younger then, I shook it. So that was, you know, a couple of days ago. There's been something even since then that's raised him in my estimation. The man started a fight with his own nose tackle. Yeah, that's <laughs> hilarious. They're doing eight. So they're doing, it's like quarterback draw stuff, you know, down by the goal line. And Jordan Phillips, like, claps him on the shoulder or whatever as he goes by, which angers Josh Allen to the point where he starts a whole ruckus. If, if you can't hit the quarterback, you can't be running quarterback, like, draw drills. You know, it's, what's the point? He's a runner. He's a runner there. So I, the, the thing looked fine from a Jordan Phillips perspective, but then Allen, like, piles right into him, which is, you know, this is just amazing. How many other quarterbacks in training camp right now are going to pick a fight with a nose tackle? Pretty Not much many. only Josh. Only Josh. There we go. Look. So, you know, the quarterback You're draw action. You've seen it on YouTube. See, look, he barely got touched. A little bump. And then boom. Oh, yeah, right into him. Josh is starting the rumble. Either way, that dude's getting cut. That's He's Jordan about... Phillips. You can't cut him. No. Well, I mean, you could, but. Jordan Phillips, grade last year, 62.7. I mean, look, you could cut him, but they're not going to. Anyway. I'm just saying, for, for a quarterback to start a fight with a nose tackle, I'm on board. You're already derailing. No, this is Josh Allen. This is relevant. Okay. Their okay, most fine. important and best and coolest player. Expectations for the Bills. Super the Bowl, roof. baby. Yeah. Super Bowl or bust, right? 13 seconds. You know that's the thing they're focused on all, all offseason leading into this year. 13 seconds. They blew it. They should have been in the AFC Championship. Uh, the last time we saw Josh Allen, he's going head-to-head with Patrick Mahomes. They're, they're ridiculous. Uh, you know, that's, that's where expectations are. They've added Von Miller. Mr. Playoffs, right? Von Miller's got two Super Bowl rings now, was dominant with the Broncos in 2015, dominant with the Rams in 2021. They've got the pieces, man. Yeah. I'm curious what um, takeaways they're going to have from that that 13-second meltdown against Kansas City. Because that's the kind of thing that, I mean, A, haunts you like going forward because it should. Um, but B, it's the kind of thing where I wonder – do you change things dramatically because of that? Or do you just stay the course and say, look, that was a 13-second mistake. We we obviously do things a little bit different if that situation itself ever presents itself again. But do we actually fundamentally change what we're doing? Do we get more aggressive generally late in games? You know, Do we pivot that kind of strategy? Because it's that kind of watershed moment that can actually cause stuff like that. And the Bills generally you know, play things reasonably conservative in terms of coverages and those kinds of things. I wonder if we see them ramp up that and get more aggressive and try and sort of squeeze the life out of teams, put the the foot on the throat and really stop, you know, end the game when they have a chance to rather than play the sort of more conservative defensively you're defense. talking about yeah yeah you know, it's, a, it's a good question. I think I think that's different from, say, last year at this time we were talking about the Chiefs and, and it was this full game of Patrick Mahomes being under pressure in the Super Bowl against the Bucs, where it felt like the, the Chiefs took that takeaway and were like, never again, we're going to build the offensive line and never let Mahomes play behind a bad offensive line. That's a That was a game experience where I do think the, the 13 seconds for the Bills is more at the play level, situational and all that stuff. They're aggressive offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that was my big takeaway from the Bills 2021 season was this was the year that Josh Allen truly took over, right? He broke out in 2020, but in 21 when the division was on the line in New England late in the season, every single third and short, you know, it's a QB run, right? And, and when the game is on the line and when you the, the QB draw that we just saw them practicing, they put the ball in Josh Allen's hands as a runner and as a passer. And I, I think they, they 
really made it into Josh Allen's team last year. And he, he had his second straight elite grade. It was bumpy at times. He still does throw the ball into coverage a little bit too much. Might throw it too fast for linebackers to catch, but he throws the ball into coverage a little bit too much. That could always regress on him, his turnover-worthy play rate. But it's Josh Allen's team. They're going to remain aggressive offensively. But some of their offseason moves, which was, you know, like drafting a James Cook just to kind of add – a little bit of juice to the pass game out of the backfield. This is this is the type of roster building we're at right now with the Bills, which is fix the edges of the roster. We want a little bit more yak. We want a little bit more of a pass-catching running back because they're looking good in so many places. Even adding an O.J. Howard to the, to the mix at tight end. O.J. Howard, just a weird player who uh, has had a couple good seasons and some disastrous seasons by our grading standpoint, but the potential's there for the former first-rounder to pair with Dawson Knox to be a good group. Brad and Jamison Crowder to replace Cole Beasley. There's a lot to like about the Bills. I think they stay aggressive offensively, and then defensively, the big question is opposite. Uh, Tredavious White, first-rounder, Kayer Elam, they could change their system just because I know you liked Elam more as a press-man corner, right? Mm. I, I, I mean, yeah, and I think... Because of Tredavious White, as much as relying on a rookie, uh, year one is always a little bit risky, that could easily be an upgrade. Like, I mean, it's easy to look at that and say, well, first-round corner versus a guy that was undrafted and a walk-on and all those kinds of things, and they let leave in free agency. Of course it's an upgrade, but it's a rookie corner in year one. It's it's generally not the strongest uh, debut season at a position you're going to see. So. It's, it's, it's a lot easier said than done to look at a guy and say, well, we drafted him in the first round. Of course he should be an upgrade. Usually I would say that's not necessarily the case. But because he's stepping into a reasonably good system for helping kind of defensive backs generally, uh, uh, an easier role specifically within that defense because Tredavious White takes the more difficult stuff um, and the fact that Levi Wallace you know, has a reasonably attainable baseline, I would say all – three of those things working together means Kyrie Elam could easily be an upgrade for that defense, which is huge. Like the, the Bills, they're Super Bowl, they're most people's Super Bowl favorites for a reason. Like, you know, I know you look at last season and say, well, they didn't even make the championship game, let alone the Super Bowl. And like, yeah, but they were 13 seconds away from knocking off Kansas City. Had they beaten Kansas City, they would have been favorites against Cincinnati okay they might not have beaten them but they would have gone into that game at home they would have yeah, been at home they would have gone into that game at home as favorites and then who the hell knows you know what would have happened once they got to the super bowl and played the raps like you can't dismiss what happened but that's how close they were and like a lot of other teams they have gotten better over the course of the offseason the other area that you know people will be concerned by is the departure of uh, Cole Beasley as their slot, but they bring in Jameson Crowder, they draft Khalil Shakir, a lot of, a guy a lot of people liked. Again, that could easily be minimum a lateral move, could potentially be better again. So, and that idea of all those situations where they put the ball in Josh Allen's hands, that's not going anywhere. And Josh Allen is effectively a cheat code in those situations because the dude can go one-on-one with a nose tackle and a fist fight. Like when you get to third, you know, third and two, and you're playing pass, and they just Josh Allen just fakes it and goes QB draw. He's now one on one with a linebacker who he probably outweighs, and has the ability to run over for two yards. Remember, he doesn't need to break a tackle. He just needs to be able to fall forwards for the three yards. Or know. a Superman dive. He's doing a lot of right, that but stuff. whatever it is, like that's the, that's what makes him. And this is a lot like Cam Newton, right? It's so hard to stop those guys in short yardage because you don't just need to tackle them. 
you need to stop him dead on contact because if you just hit him and he outweighs you by 10, 15 pounds and he just, you know, falls forward, it's the first down. So last season, there's so many situations, whether it's short yardage, goal line, all those kinds of things, where Josh Allen was the difference. And Buffalo clearly knows it, right? And they're, they're willing to embrace it and hand him the ball in those situations. And it makes them almost impossible to stop in those spots. Don't you think they want to get away from that at some point? No. Though? As big as big and strong as he is, we talk about this all the time, it's less about size as far as durability goes. It is about playing style. At yeah. some point, you don't want him taking those hits. No, I think they've embraced that, and they're saying, look, you're getting paid $40-plus million a year for a reason. This is your reason. Like, yeah, you're going to take hits that we wouldn't expose Matt Barkley to, but that's why you're getting paid $40-plus million a year. Like, don't hate on Matt Barkley. I'm just saying, look uh, – Again, like Cam Newton, like there's no – if you say we have to go away from this because it's exposing you to hits that other quarterbacks don't take, then you're saying, yeah, but then we're taking away your differentiator. We're taking away the thing that makes you special by going to something else. Right now, the thing that – Josh Allen is great at a lot of other things. I'm not saying this is his only – like this is his one trick. But the thing that has the capacity to separate Josh Allen from basically every other quarterback in the NFL – is that those situations where if you get third and two, you can't stop him because he can do everything. He can pass the ball short or long. He can run the ball up the middle. He can run the ball around the edge. So he can run over a linebacker. He can run around a cornerback or he can pass it over your head. At which point, how do you defend that? So if you then say, all right, this is great, but we don't want you running over people anymore. Now you're taking away one of those options and you're just making everything else incrementally easier to defend. And sure, he'll still be a great quarterback because he can still pass the ball. He can still run in space, but it's not as good. So I think once you've committed to that kind of contract, you say, to hell with it. Let's roll with this until the wheels fall off. Uh, Particularly, particularly, by the way, just to finish that, they haven't won the Super Bowl yet, right? If you're too still maybe, go all out to right. win it. Maybe yeah. once you're two rings deep, you know, you'd be like, all right, now let's back off. Let's let's preserve this and let's see how long we can stay in the groove. But Buffalo hasn't won a Super Bowl ever. They're 0-4, right? They crapped out on 13 seconds to go against the Chiefs last year. Now is not the time to go away from this the really special thing that Josh Allen brings to the table before you've achieved, you know, before you've reached the promised land. One other, um, yeah, I understand. I get it. Um, Josh Allen's team. Again, they showed it last year. One of the stats that stood out to me last year defensively, they only allowed nine completions on 20-plus yard throws, nine deep passes. That was without Tredavious White for a period of time. Uh, Other than, I think, 2020, the defense kind of fell apart a little bit. But under Sean McDermott, this defense has been fantastic. They play that. Um, usually they play a lot of shell coverages, keep things in front of them. One of the best safety duos in the league in Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. We mentioned Elam jumping in to, um, to essentially replace Levi Wallace on the other side of Tredavious White. Uh, they have a guy like Matt Milano, a linebacker, who's as good as it gets as far as covering running backs out of the backfield. And then the thing that they've really worked on in Buffalo is adding a ton of depth on that defensive line. They like to roll seven or eight deep on that D line. So you have Vaughn Miller coming in as the headliner. Uh, but Ed Oliver's still there as a guy that can rush the passer a little bit, undersized interior defensive lineman. Gregory Rousseau had a nice rookie season last year, big, long 6'6", 6'7", 
defensive end, AJ uh, Epinesa, Sha- Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips, who's fighting, fighting Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. Tim Settle comes in from free agency. So they've got some depth up front. There's a lot to like about this Bills team. The one big question mark that I think we've brought to the table is the offensive line, right? So they don't have Daryl Williams anymore. He had been solid. He'd been in and out of the lineup last year. But you have second-year right tackle Spencer Brown. You have a question at right guard. Is it Ryan Bates? Is it uh, Cody Ford? Cody Ford has really struggled in his three years in the NFL. Roger Saffold comes in from Tennessee. He's really experienced, but he he had a subpar season last year, right? Is he getting too old this is the one place where this offensive line hasn't been one of the league's best they've been very much in the middle of the pack the last couple years but this is the one place where it could be on the the lower end of average yeah and that could be the weakness of but the good thing is i think that's about as bad as it can get like the strategy that they have in terms of or that they've had in the last few years in terms of assembling offensive linemen and just grabbing guys that are average to below average players and get a ton of them, right? Yeah. It's it's very difficult for that line to be horrendous because if one guy starts playing like crap, you just bench him for the guy behind him who looks to be about as good. So David Questenberry, I think, is a great example. I forgot of, they added Questenberry too, yeah. Now, look, Questenberry last season had a grade of like 80, but it was all run blocking. His pass protection was way worse in a system that is pretty beneficial for offensive line play in general. Complete outlier relative to anything else we've seen from Questenberry in the past. But that's a perfect example of a guy we just bring in. Let's roll the dice. Like this guy had a real, this guy had a kind of Pro Bowl caliber season last year, which would be. I mean, if you said you're going to get that every season, he would be the starter at right tackle for the Bills immediately. They, obviously, they don't think he will, and they're probably right. So, you, but you bring him in, like to, to, as a backup contingency option, because now if one of your right tackles struggle, you throw in Questenberry, and all of a sudden you might even upgrade. Um, so I just think the Bills have done, like, you've got Greg Manx, you've got Ike Butker. Like, they have some capable backups who may not be any worse than the guys that are uh, in front of them. So if those guys start playing, you know, really badly, as opposed to just slightly below average, you just make a switch and you're probably fine. DraftKings win to season win totals, 11.5. The Bills are tied with the Bucks with the biggest number, 11.5 at this point. Remember, it's a 17-game schedule. We've got to keep reminding everybody of that. Do you think the Bills go over or under the 11.5? Over. I mean, if we're expecting them to be a Super Bowl contender, arguably the best team in the NFL, the best roster in the NFL, you got to be, you know, 12-plus win team. We're not going to give all of our Super Bowl predictions or anything today. That'll be uh, – we'll have a, pr- a prediction show or something, probably. Uh, but do you want a you know, little teaser? Do you expect in the Bills to make it through this deep AFC? I mean, I think – I think they are justifiably seen as the best team in the NFL right now. I have no earthly idea who's going to make it through the AFC yet. Perfect. Well done. Thanks. Anything else on the Bills? Uh, I, think so, this, I think this might be their year. You think This is might? their year. Mr. Josh Allinger is This is there. their year. Look at this. Uh, I, one other point I think is worth making with that defense. Um, McDermott's system has been good for years. It's been good before it even got to Buffalo. It was doing good things for Carolina. Um, the league is moving in that direction. So he's sort of ahead of the curve in terms of like, this is what he's been rolling with. And it's not just uh, McDermott, right? It's Leslie Frazier as well. Like that defense, this is where they've been living for years. And all of a sudden it's becoming the defense that everybody is sort of pivoting towards. 
shifting towards in terms of going back to split safety looks, more coverage shells, you know, more inviting of the run in terms of light uh, box counts, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's good for Buffalo. Because this has already been a successful defense while everybody else was playing something different. Now everybody else is moving to the kind of systems you're playing and you've been doing it for years, so you're further ahead in terms of understanding what the change-ups need to be, what the adjustments, what the rules against certain things are. I think that can only help Buffalo's defense. All right, Buffalo Bills, your AFC East preview. Who's next on our list here? Miami Dolphins? Miami Dolphins. Okay. Their win total is nine, nine. at DraftKings. I'm, uh, I'm excited for the Dolphins. Yeah. Of all the teams that we want to see, that I want to see this year, is, are, are the Dolphins at the top of the list? They're, they're close. They're up there. The Dolphins are a pretty um, polarizing team in terms of because of this weird offseason of the AFC where everybody went on this arms race. A lot of people are either like, well, this is Miami's year now. They got Tyreek Hill. We were going to see Tua unleashed. They rebuilt the offensive line. Now we're cooking. And then there are a lot of other people sort of pick for like they're the one team where it's not really going to work. You know, everybody loaded up in the AFC. Miami's they're going to be limited by Tua, and they're just going to fall back relative to everybody else, right? Everyone's gotten better. The Dolphins got better, but they might be the team that misses the playoffs and just doesn't look great because everybody else overtook them. Um, so I think you're right. They are going to be one of the most interesting teams to watch to figure out where in that spectrum they lie, and it's all going to come down to what this offense coalesces to be with Tyreek Hill, with Jalen Waddle, with Tua, with Mike McDaniel coming over from San Francisco and what he can create with this rebuilt offensive line, half rebuilt. What does this whole thing look like? Uh, yeah, I want to see what, what happens with Tua here because he had – so I'm just looking at the most – which quarterbacks had the most RPOs last year, run-pass options. Yeah. And those are plays where, again, it's a called – it's called run, and instead of – uh, instead of the run game figuring out who the unblocked defender is and making him wrong, you, you pass behind him, right? Um, sometimes an RPO could be a screen. You, you run, throw a little bubble off of it. But last year, Tua had tied. He tied for the second most RPOs in the league. Now, this is listen to this number. It's including the playoffs, of which Tua didn't play. And Tua was hurt for a lot of last year, right? He missed a chunk of the season. So Patrick Mahomes had the most with 100 and then it was Tua, Josh Allen, and Ben Roethlisberger. All guys, um, those guys didn't miss time, right? Or ben missed a little bit, but they all tied for second with 82. I want to see, was that because the Dolphins thought, you know, this is the only way we can move the ball with Tua, or this is one of his strengths. He's, you know, quick decision maker, quick release. And he's fine on those plays, but there was a point in the Dolphins offense last year where it just felt so conservative. It felt like, uh, they didn't have the ability to throw the ball down the field. They didn't want to throw the ball down the field. Jalen Waddell, um, it, this you know happened with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback too, but Jalen Waddell had that one game where he had like 11 catches for 40 yards. That was with Brissett. But again, the offense in total was just not throwing the ball down the field. Now, can Tua do that? He had the fourth lowest average depth of target last year. Are they going to unleash this thing? Um, all that said, Tua's average depth of targets very similar to Jimmy Garoppolo's last year. That's the offense that's coming over here. I always mention that Garoppolo was the was the comp that I used. Let me, let me just here's a stat ready to to break this down. 
I use the Jimmy Garoppolo comp for Tua coming out. I still think there's some, a lot of truth in that comparison. Last year, they had essentially the same average depth of target, but Garoppolo averaged 8.4 yards per attempt, a ton, and Tua was at 6.8. So can Mike McDaniel, can the offense bridge that gap? Can Tua essentially throw the ball underneath like he did last year, maybe not with as many RPOs, but within McDaniel's system, and then because you have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell and a better system, all of a sudden it's going to be an explosive passing attack. That's the biggest question for the Dolphins this year. Yeah, I mean, the RPOs thing will change dramatically. Miami ran a lot of them. San Francisco didn't run them almost at all relative to everybody else, certainly last year. And generally, the Shanahan system does not run a ton of RPOs, which is kind of ironic because you would think that that offense is almost tailor-made for RPOs. And yet, for some reason, Kyle Shanahan has never really leaned into that, relative, even when they were exploding and you know it looked like the, they were going to take over the league. The, but it's an interesting element because... It felt like, I don't know if this was why they ran a lot of them in Miami, but RPOs were protecting that offensive line, as was Tua's fast release time relative to a lot of other quarterbacks. They were, this is why the offensive line was such a big issue in Miami, because they were the worst offensive line in the NFL by a mile. They were historically bad, despite the offense protecting it pretty well by quick release and RPOs. And a couple other things, right? This this was a line that... If that was the other was, thing I meant to mention, right? You're doing it in part because the line was, yeah, was if, rough. If it was just like a drop-back passing offense, the line would have looked even worse. So this is why previous to this year, you really can't get a fair read on what Tua is because that line was so bad, you can't possibly have a fair conclusion based off working behind that unit. But it's also, like Pittsburgh this year, the line is going to have a very different job you know, in terms of pass protection. Now, unlike Pittsburgh, where the job is just going to be harder, this one is more nuanced than that because you're going to lose the RPOs generally. So there's a lot of plays where they're going to be pass blocking instead of run blocking, which is going to expose them to more pressure. But in theory, you're getting a Kyle Shanahan offense being brought over, which we know is generally beneficial to offensive linemen. So where in that spectrum it lands and how much easier or more more difficult that offensive line's job is going to be this year is pretty interesting to watch. Can Teron Armstead stay healthy for a full season at left tackle? That's an interesting element. Um, Armstead and Connor Williams should give you two guaranteed quality starting players on the offensive line. Robert Hunt, I think, is a third. Um, He might not be a superstar, but I think he's a good quality starter, meaning... Miami has gone from basically one out of five offensive linemen are capable to at least three. And then if they can get average to above average play out of at least one more, now all of a sudden it's just like, okay, Austin Jackson is the problem, which is fine. We can work around that, right? right. But that that's transformative. Like you go from the worst offensive line in the NFL by a mile to the point where it doesn't really matter what else you're doing because nothing functions to – this line is okay. Yeah. And still some question marks there because Teron Armstead has had a lot of health issues the last few years. Connor Williams, who's played left guard his entire career, is going to move to center, supposedly here, with, mm-hmm. the, with the Dolphins. Um, but like you're saying, if three-fifths of the line is better and you hope to get one guy to develop, that's, that's creeping back toward average in Miami. Um, speed, man. It's just speed everywhere. We always mention Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, but even like a Raheem Mostert coming over with Mike McDaniel from San Francisco. 
the speed element, getting those guys into space. You had Cedric Wilson, who was a very good receiver for the uh, Cowboys last year when he had, when he filled in for Michael Gallup. Uh, and then don't forget about Mike Kosicki, who's um, not as well-rounded as some other tight ends as far as run blocking goes. He's basically been a glorified big receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll probably have to play in line a little bit more in this offense. But again, receiving-wise, he brings a lot to the table. So there's a lot of weapons, a few question marks on the O-line, and uh, year three for Tua. Can he, t- can he take this step forward? So um, I think the stats will look better. And for the, um, if you're playing the drinking game, will Steve mention that this is the offseason where we learn about wide receiver one and their impact? This is one of those examples, right? How much impact can Tyreek Hill truly have on this offense? Can he elevate Tua? I think the stats, I think the stats are going to look much better. Yeah, of course, the stats will look a lot better. The one thing I, I think is good for... Generally, it's bad that a quarterback plays in a situation where you simply can't function as an offense. And Tua's been doing that since he got to Miami. The one good thing about it is I don't think, I don't really see signs that it's broken him. Because that's the worry about that, right? Is you put a quarterback in a terrible situation and the line is so bad and everything else is so bad that quarterback starts developing bad habits and you can't really pull him out of that. And the guy's just a write-off at this point. So now Tua gets the first situation he's had in the NFL – that, that I think is viable. And the concern would be that he's been so damaged by the previous years that it doesn't matter anymore because he's just not capable of being whatever he could have been if he'd been in a good situation from day one. I think because they've been doing smart things to try and offset the calamity that is the offensive line in terms of RPOs, in terms of quick release, I don't think Tua has been really badly damaged by the situation he's been in so far. So he should be able to maximize whatever he's capable of within this Mike McDaniel offense with now weapons to work with and, and Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. And the only thing he needs to do is, like, can you now flip the switch and become more aggressive and push it downfield? Because that's the one sort of habit that has been ingrained over the last couple of years is you don't really have time to go deep, right? Like, take a one read, get the ball out don't wait for the guy to uncover 20 yards downfield because you're never going to get there. So now he needs to make that adjustment is, okay, give Tyreek Hill a tick longer to uncover deep downfield. Like give Jalen Waddle, you know, a beat longer to get 15 yards downfield because you've got the time to do that now because those are important plays. Like that is the difference sometimes between a viable quarterback and one that isn't is a quarterback that's willing to take a few more risks and push it downfield and be a little bit more aggressive. That, I think, is the big thing that Tua needs to figure out if he can do this year. Have, uh, have you encountered uh, Tua Non? Yeah. You have? Uh-huh. What'd you say to encounter them? Because I know other people have been far more critical of Tua than we have. Only, no, I have, I've only encountered it as an outside observer. Okay. I haven't so you foul okay. of They haven't Tua attacked non. you? No. Okay. Because me neither. Like, I haven't, I've, I mean, we've been pretty, I think we've been pretty fair with Tua criticism and all that stuff. Um, just to, I want to recap his first two years really quickly here. 66% completion percentage, where if you only looked at that number, you say, hey, that's really good. The, the comparison to Garoppolo that I always made was quick release, does some good things, but has way more turnover-worthy plays or bad turnover-worthy plays than you would want. Didn't have it at Alabama, but they mm. were, there were some bad ones in there. Yeah, 4.3% turnover-worthy play rate. That is on the lower end of the league. That is a high number. And 
he's got one of the lowest big time throw rates again a very garoppolo type of thing remember last year we were like garoppolo's putting up incredible numbers with no big time throws and when that usually happens it's something schematically right so this is where i do think we see a bigger jump statistically from Tua. also 6.6 yards per attempt it's a low number it's below the league average it's not good so when you have low yards per attempt Low big-time throws, high turnover-worthy plays. That's usually not good. That's to his career so far. The skill that he's brought to the table, the quick release, getting rid of the ball, not taking sacks behind, like as you mentioned, a terrible offensive line. But I think that skill set will play in this offense, right? That skill set can play, and if Tua does get a little bit better, a few more big-time throws, cut down on some of the bad decisions, things are going to look a lot better. I think the Dolphins are going to be tough to beat. I think they're going to be tough. All the stuff you mentioned is directly tied to the scheme and the bad offensive line all that kind of stuff like high completion rate because he's getting the ball out of his hands quickly and not pushing it deep downfield it's a low average depth of target you would expect that same with like high turnover worthy play rate well of course it is the worst offensive line in the nfl by a mile he's under pressure all of the time uh low big time throw rate same thing he's getting the ball out of his hands quickly he's not pushing he's not gonna have those opportunities he's not gonna have those the the can the uh, thing to kind of monitor is that Jimmy G had that style, had that kind of profile in a good system. Tua hasn't had the good system yet. So he's yeah. matching Jimmy G's yeah. profile from a much worse situation. Now we get to see, does he still do that in a good system or does that explain the majority of those numbers? It was just the, the spot he's in. Last part on Tua, last year he had four very good game grades. They were against the Giants who struggled defensively the Falcons, who were terrible, the Jaguars, who were terrible, and the Jets, who were terrible defensively. Those were his four good games. He did not have one other game grade above 63 in seven or eight other games. So that's another concern. He was very inconsistent. There were definitely games where two and on could step up and say he just he completed, completed over 80% in two different games, right, against some of those bad teams. So um, got to see him do it against, against better teams, better competition um, defensively. It's it's another intriguing group because I like the way they've invested in the secondary. Xavier um, Howard has been a baller the last couple of years, even if he's been a little up and down throughout his career. Byron Jones, I mean, that's a great starting point at corner. They add in the very underrated Melvin Ingram. They re-signed Emmanuel Ogba for big money. And um, and you still have Jalen Phillips. That could be a decent trio rushing the passer. Christian Wilkins had a breakout season last year. He became one of the better interior defensive linemen in the league. And they got great play from Javon Holland, rookie safety safety out of Oregon last year. So I like a lot of what they have defensively. I don't think it's one of the best in the league. They definitely had some ugly games last year. They played a lot better when they played worse quarterbacks, like a lot of defenses, a lot of good pieces there, though, defensively. Yeah, and critically, McDaniel didn't mess with that when he came in. Yeah. So he retained the coaching staff or the retained the defense coordinator from 2020. So they're not – My your concern would be um, – New head coach comes in, gets rid of everybody, brings in his new coaching staff, and all of a sudden you have this defense that was assembled for that very specific Patriot-style man coverage type of defense that Brian Flores likes to run, and all of a sudden you pivoted to a zone system and nobody makes sense there. They didn't do that. They Okay, the, the league generally is moving away from that style of defense, but Miami kept the guy that was running that and said, look, these are the players we've brought in for this system we need you to run it so let's go we're going to get better on the other side of the ball 
let's let's keep doing what we're doing on defense. I think that's probably a pretty smart thing to have done rather than suddenly find everybody in the the defense ill-fitted for the scheme they're going to be running. Yeah, I think still some questions at linebacker. They paid Jerome Baker a lot of money. He's you know had pretty much league average type of grades in production. Um, again, it's not perfect across the board. Uh, it's another spot too. Noah Igbenogany thought looked like he'd be a good slot corner a couple years ago as a first rounder. Hasn't really stepped up and been that guy. But I like the pieces, like I said. And it starts with Xavier Howard and Byron Jones on the back end. You get a couple more of those young players to to take another step forward. Uh, Ogba has been year five or six breakout for uh, for him. That's why he got all that money. Where do you land on the Dolphins? The over unders nine. Um, was just talking to Eric. I think this happened last year, too. We, I think a lot of the numbers point to, hey, the Bills are the heavy favorite in the AFC East. And even though that's true on paper with the Bills roster, man, I don't know if the teams are going to beat each other up the same way maybe the AFC North will. But the Bills are going to be tough. I mean, the, the Dolphins are going to be tough, and the Patriots are going to be tough, aren't they? Yeah. Miami is the team that I think will be good, but just run foul of so many good teams. I think they'll be a decent team. I think they'll be hard to beat, but I think they will lose more games than people expect them to because the AFC is just a bloodbath right now and they'll end up being worse than a bunch of other teams. So we're going to go over or under their nine wins? Uh, I'll go under. Eight and nine. Man, if I had to bet, I think I'd go over. Over the nine. Problem is, you need to keep track of that because I think you'll do that for like the AFC. Yeah. Like the AFC will be over all of it everybody i mean i would probably say the dolphins are a nine and eight team in the afc yeah if they're in the nfc i might think they might be an 11 win team to be honest right but the problem is they can't all go over their win totals yeah i get it yeah i understand i'm just saying you know mentally keep track of that they're all go because i'll probably go over the patriots eight and a half next you'll go over with the jags because they went to peterson like everybody there'll be like one team they'll be under the texans everybody's over yeah but is this sorted out so everybody can go over or is it predicting every game like the Texans, four and a half. I'll go under them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The yeah. one team in the AFC you'll pick under their win total will be Houston, and then the AFC will be expected Fine. to win under, every game. Under on the Dolphins, nine. All right, let's go to the New England Patriots. They're, they're over-unders, eight and a half. So, <laughs> Going over. <laughs> so DraftKings has them as an eight and a half win team. They won 10 games last year. Yeah. Mac Jones, a lot of buzz. I, are we getting as much buzz for other second-year quarterbacks as the, the Mac Jones hype here? Uh, Belichick saying he's he's way ahead and it's a new offense and it's faster and Devontae Parker's catching everything. There's now, it's great, there's these think pieces now about whether Bill Belichick is sort of adjusting his style because, you know, you spent like 15 years essentially crapping on Brady because it set the standard, right? If I take the best guy in the NFL and shit all over him, everybody else has to understand, wow, that's the standards. Like, we need to get... On him, like we can't do anything wrong otherwise uh, if he's going to rip him apart but now it's like you got a second year quarterback who had a you know good not great rookie year that guy's ego and, and confidence is way more fragile than the greatest quarterback to ever play with a chip on his shoulder maybe you need to modify how you behave around that guy and all of a sudden it's belichick saying ah the guy's playing yeah he's great he's so far ahead of last year it's, it's amazing i kind of like that i think that's fun i I don't know whether I agree with it or not, but I like. So he's not gonna. I like the people who join those dots. He's not gonna trash Mac Jones and say I can get no kid from Foxborough High to make that. Right, throw. like first first uh, play in the film room is not gonna be Mac Jones like firing a pick six right to a nose yeah. tackle. Look at this idiot. Yeah, 
That's your starting quarterback. Good luck, guys. Well, maybe I'm buying into it. <laughs> maybe I'm buying into it. Okay. It was true last year with, with Mac Jones, though, right? I mean, there was a, it was a good training camp, handled the offense, had the big joint practice with the Giants. This is, this is really what their season hinges upon, does it not? I mean, if, if Mac Jones is a guy that can elevate his game, uh, use the quick decision-making and the accuracy, cut out some of those. He just had some games where they either they didn't rely on him in certain games, and there's other games where he just didn't didn't do much, right? He just did not do it. Forget the, the windy game in Buffalo. They didn't ask him. But there's other games he just didn't bring a lot to the table. They needed him in Indianapolis, whatever it was. Um, if he cuts out those games and he's that guy, there's enough on this Patriots roster that they're dangerous too. Yeah, I mean, I think his his job is almost different this year. Now it's about not elevating your game, but about elevating everybody else's game. Like that's because he ended up with a what a grade of like eighty year one, which is actually a really good number, uh, even in this sort of season of inflated numbers across the board and offense exploding and all those kinds of things. If you've got an eighty level quarterback all the time, you're in a pretty good spot. But now, the difference now to go from 80 to 85 and 90 where you're the best quarterbacks in the NFL now you need to show that you can get career years out of the guys around you so can you get a career year out of Jacoby Myers and Devontae Parker and Nelson Aguilar and, you know prove the Patriots right for drafting Tyquan Thornton and, and all those kinds of things can you figure out John o. Smith who had a disaster of a year after being made one of the highest paid tight ends in the NFL can you continue to get use out of Hunter Henry all those kinds of things like Mac Jones' job now is not necessarily about getting a ton better himself, but being able to prove that he can make all those players around him better. And that that's, I think, his task going into year two. And maybe more games where the offense flows through the passing attack. Not that you have to win that way, but you need to have the option to win that way a little bit more often. When the Patriots were at their best, remember, didn't they, they scored over 50 points twice last year. Um, they had some dominant kind of old school Patriots types of games, right? Where it's like the execution across the board. Now, again, it's the Jets, it's the Jaguars, it's beating up on some bad teams. But that's what Brady's Patriots always did, right? They always destroyed the bad teams when they were supposed to and did it in dominating fashion. There were signs of that last year. You know, for all of the, the woes that other rookie quarterbacks had, Mac Jones was a part of teams that put up a ton of points and competed and made it to the playoffs. And that is a great rookie season. On the other hand, we've seen excellent rookie seasons from Baker Mayfield, from RG3, and, you know, quarter, they're, they're all different circumstances, but it doesn't always mean you're the best going forward and it's always going to get better. So I think that's the step forward is a, there's no, there is no Tyree Kill here. There is no A.J. Brown. But the totality of the receiving core, Kendrick Bourne did some nice things last year as well. Two tight ends, three or four receivers to throw to, a run game that's going to be solid again behind a good offensive line. They have multiple ways to win, but will they have those games where it's Mac Jones' team? And this is what always made the Patriots special historically, their ability to adjust their game plan. Because if there was a week where they could run all over you for 200 yards, they'll do it. But there's going to be a week where the team t- you know, defense takes away the run and you're going to spread to throw, and it's like, hey, Mac, go drop back 45, 50 times, go do it. If he can do that, and we saw Brady take that step in year two as well. All of a sudden, you know, they started the 2002 season way back then with Brady throwing the ball like 22 times. And, he, and within a year, he went from game manager to like, hey, man, maybe we could just throw the ball whenever we want. 
right? It happened instantly. And if you're always going to have those parallels, if Mac Jones can make that same jump, we might know early if he's ready to take that jump, the Patriots might be way more dangerous than people think. The big thing working against him, though, is that Josh McDaniels got a head coaching job. True. Um, and look, whatever you think about Josh McDaniels, the head coach, and his previous stint at that was an absolute train wreck. He has been the ever-present sort of quarterback, you know, mentor, quarterback, uh, partner in New England since that point. And has been sort of at the head of adjusting that offense of working with the quarterback and changing what it needs to be and shepherding whatever changes need to happen and elevating that guy's play regardless of who it's been and not only is he not there anymore which is very important but the replacement is you know you know we don't know who it is yeah but we kind of do you know and it's hey Bill Belichick might be calling plays uh, yeah so it, it seems like the replacement is effectively Matt Patricia. Um, and the, so <laughs> he's technically not an offensive coordinator for whatever reason, but they're also kind of splitting roles with a bunch of coaches doing a couple of different things. And, you know, you see things in, in training camp like Patricia needs to go and sort of deal with something else, effectively like leaves an offensive line group to, you know, the, the assistant coach while he goes and sorts something else out and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, like – Okay, that's fine, but that's very different to McDaniel's being able to like work with the quarterback in game kind of the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just dedicate his entire time to making Mac Jones' life better. Maybe he still will. Maybe he could still call Josh whenever he wants. Yeah, feels unlikely. I doubt it. Um, whereas Patricia, I don't know if he'd do that anyway, but even if he could, or even if he would, I, I don't know if he can because of this sort of weird way that they've split out all these coaching roles in New England. So all of a sudden, Mac Jones has kind of gone from one environment where he's got like almost his own dedicated coach permanently that they get to work together in partnership to like now you've got to, it's on you to raise your game year two and elevate everybody else around you. And, you know, Matt Patricia is the dude calling plays and he's kind of got to do a couple other things while he's doing that. So kind of figure it out by yourself. On the other hand, maybe it's, they're adjusting to Mac Jones a little bit more. They know him better. Year two, adjust the scheme to him. I, I think the offense is going to be all right. Uh, offensive line-wise, they did they traded Shaq Mason, but they got Michael and Wenu, uh, who's been fantastic when he's been in there. Of course, the big draft pick was Cole Strange, mm. who we uh, were surprised to see go in the first round. He'll the probably slot was in. Strange. We, we thought it was strange at the time, but we'll see. Uh, starting at left guard, I think around him, David Andrews has been solid. Trent Brown comes back. I think they'll have a good offensive line, even if Cole Strange does struggle as a rookie. Well, yeah, the whole offense generally is built to run the ball still. It's got a really powerful offensive line that is better run blocking than pass protecting. You still have those two tight ends to, to run the two tight end packages that they didn't run last year, despite paying them all the money. Jonu Smith had maybe the worst season of his career, certainly the worst run blocking season of his career. So I think there's, there's a task in hand there to figure out what the hell Johnny Smith is within this offense because if you had him as like your designated blocker between the two that didn't work so the backfield is fantastic Damian Harris is one of the best rushing grades in the last couple of years aided by that offensive line Ramondre Stevenson looked like a perfectly capable uh 1a in, in that backfield and as you know he's another Another example of training camp time. So we'll hear the story about how he's dropped seven pounds, reshaped his body in the best shape of his life. But Damian Harris from Andre Stevenson is a, a great one-two punch in that backfield. Um, so the offense is kind of built 
to be that power run game and then whatever um, Mac Jones can add on top of that, it should be fine. The question is, how much better than fine can it get? So yeah, I, I agree with all that. And then my question on the offense is again: Is it can it can it be more pass first when needed? Right? I've got concerns defensively. Now, that could be another place where people eat their words and it's like ah there's no stars you, you don't see a stefan gilmore on this depth chart anymore even though he wasn't playing last year like you just don't see well, forget stefan gil you just don't see like you don't see anyone. a starting capable corner yeah. on this depth chart yeah and so are they are they pivoting their system they played a lot more zone last year so does it matter less to have an excellent corner what are they going to do schematically on the defensive side of the ball because for years the whole Belichick tree was just playing man way more than the rest of the NFL. Yeah. Last year, they came back down uh, closer to the rest of the pack. Is this a completely new system where you, maybe you don't need as many stars? It's old school Patriot way type of stuff. And you get, you know, the Adrian Phillips has found his home here. Um, but there is some, you know, they just locked up Devon Godshaw up front, who's always been pretty average as far as our grading goes. Matthew Judon had a ton of sacks last year, but not only did he disappear down the stretch, but our pass rush grade didn't match up with that total. I don't know how great they are defensively here. I mean, across the board, we are really light on players that you would term coverage first type of players. So that cornerback room is the cornerback equivalent of the wide receiver room in Green Bay, where on paper it looks like a disaster and you, you, know, you can talk your way into a couple of players. And <laughs> did you see the little clip on NFL Network where Rodgers kind of went through his receiving room and made them all out to be superstars, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you can do that, but you can do that for everybody, right? Sure. If you're going to take that kind of slant on it, then everybody looks fantastic. This group looks terrible. Jalen Mills for years has been a substandard starter. Played okay last season actually for them, but I wouldn't expect that to be his baseline necessarily. Terrence Mitchell is a below-average starting corner. Jonathan Jones in the slot. Marcus Jones, the guy they drafted, I loved as a player, but is battling serious limitations in terms of size. Like, if you are going to be good at 5'6 or 7 and 170 pounds, you are one of the biggest outliers of all time. So he's five, listed at 5'8 and 174. He's so good, though. Which He's so good. Just for context is three inches and about 10 pounds lighter than I am. And I'm not trying to cover Julio Jones or DK Metcalf or A.J. Brown on a regular basis. I don't think it would go well if I did. Probably not. Now, I will say that Marcus Jones has significantly better movement skills than I have, certainly at this point. But that's, I mean, that's so hard to do, to to offset that kind of size differential. Um, Particularly as he, he might not be playing purely in the slot which is where you would normally see a guy like that and say, all right, slot or slot corner only, given that size. They're going to give him a shot, I think, to play across the defense. And look, I, I love that guy. I think his tape is incredible. And if he was a normal-sized human being, he would be a first-round pick. Normal-sized human being? You know, football context. Normal-sized uh, corner? Normal-sized football player. Okay. He would be a first-round draft pick. But yeah. he isn't, so he wasn't. And so- therefore, to expect him to be and again rookie corner even if he was like that's not an easy thing yeah. so expecting him to be good year one is a, is a stretch malcolm butler has basically been a disaster since they got rid of him the first time um terrence mitchell comes i mean they and then even if you look at the other positions right that you okay the cornerback room is a disaster can you make up for that with really good play elsewhere like the vikings for a while had bad cornerback play but really good safety so it was less of a problem 
Devin McCourty's great. Devin McCourty's 34 years old and the only guy that can survive in coverage in this defense. Well, you're 40. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to be playing free safety in in an (laughs) NFL defense. Yeah. So, and last season was not a great year for Devin McCourty. Certainly on the low end of what you would expect from him. Maybe that's his decline. Um, Everybody else... Okay, Mac Wilson is more of a coverage type of linebacker, but everybody else is like a run-first type of guy. Juwan Bentley, like his problem coming out of college was that guy can't play coverage. He's, got, he's a run defender. He's a thumper only. Kyle Duggar is a matchup type of player in coverage, but not somebody you necessarily want in deep zones covering half a field or whatever. Same with Adrian Phillips. There's a lot of matchup stuff you can do with him, and he's a very good, strong safety, but you don't want him in deep zones all the time. So you're looking at this defense in a pass-first league where everybody's spreading you out and throwing deep. You're like, how does this defense defend that? If, if the Patriots' defense is going to be good, don't forget they also lose J.C. Jackson. All yeah. of the turnovers from J.C. Jackson. Stephon Gilmore wasn't there last year, but he was there the previous years, right? And that was the strength of the Patriots' defense. When you had Gilmore, you had Jackson, different types of corners. They'd match up. They'd turn the ball over, all that stuff. If they're good, you're going to see a – a breakout of a Marcus Jones. You're going to see the Patriots find out how to maximize Jabril Peppers, who's in camp, right? Malcolm Butler gets rejuvenated. Christian Barmore, second on the team in pressures last year as an interior defensive lineman, as a rookie. Does he take a big step forward? Josh Uche breakout. He's shown flashes as a pass rusher in his couple years in the league. So I think there'll be new names, right? If the Patriots' defense is going to be good, it'll be new names breaking out. If they're not good, it's because on paper they're not very good. And that's it. They just don't. They don't look great. And if Bel, you know, we'll see what happens. Belichick. It's not like Belichick's always had good defenses. They've had mm-hmm. bad defenses before. And and when they had bad defenses, it's usually when they were in a transition, personnel-wise, or they kind of like thread the needle, right? They were like, oh yeah, we can make this guy work. And it, they they just they had too many of those. We'll make this guy work. And that's what we're talking about. They're trying to make guys work. We- and. You, you have these defenses where guys would only function in, in the Patriots and Belichick system, but they would function. So guys like Kyle Van Noy, right? Or any other defense, Kyle Van Noy looks like a player that doesn't really belong in the NFL. You take, put him in New England, and all of a sudden it's, ah, there you go. It's, there's Kyle Van Noy. There's the role player. There's, you know, with what he does really well. This is great. You look at this defense right now, and there's a bunch of those types of players, but they haven't been getting that production out of them. So... Players like Josh Uche, we were like, that's a really there's a there's a niche there for him to be a really good player. We haven't really seen him do it yet. Kyle Duggar is the one I think exception where he has actually been a really useful player in, in his role. But you need, you know, there there needs to be like five of these guys that all of a sudden start playing like those players in Belichick's defenses down the years. We're like, okay, we we understand there's some kind of witchcraft going on here, and it's basically Bill Belichick understanding where these players win how to put them in those situations all the time and getting better play out of those guys than they would get anywhere else there are a bunch of players that look like new england type of players on this defense in terms of limited they are you know they can only do one or two different types of things but they're not even doing those particularly well like we're not getting that level of play which is what belichick's defenses have been able to get down the years which is why they've always been better than they're supposed to be these Particularly, you remember the early Brady years. We were looking at these, the the Patriots generally on both sides of the ball. They're like, this is not a very talented roster, but he's getting incredible play out of these guys that everybody else cast off. You know, they've turned into the the backbone of these Super Bowl winning teams. 
because of that, like he was getting better play out of those guys than he should or than other people would get in other situations. I don't think that's happening anymore. So where does this land? Eight and a half wins. Like I said, the Patriots had um, a solid offense last year. They scored a ton of points. I think they'll be good again offensively. They, they're going to go over or under the eight and a half. Um, I mean, I think that's the right kind of ballpark. I, I guess because I think the AFC will be so strong, I will lean under as well. Oh, look at you. Yeah. You can't go over for everything. I'll go under for the Dolphins, over for the Patriots. I'm just that? I'm looking into the future and imagining the number of teams I want to put over. So, therefore, some teams have to be under. Miami can't be the only one. Therefore, the Patriots as well. Um, it's an interesting one because they play, they play what, the NFC North, I believe? But I think that coaching thing is big. Everybody is assuming Mac Jones takes a step forward year two. We know that a change in coaching staff has a big impact on everything. And that's a really significant one. Losing Josh McDaniels, who is a great offensive coordinator, whatever he is, the head coach, still TBD, and going to Matt Patricia, who hasn't even done this job before, right? Whatever this job is. They play the NFC North that could help a little bit. I mean, all these teams. But I'm saying right. that, I didn't actually know if that was true or not. Let me check. Uh, Which part? The Matt Patricia thing. Yeah, never never been an offensive coordinator. The closest he's been is an offensive assistant to the Patriots back in 2004, an assistant offensive line coach back it's, in 2005. It's certainly a question. And then mark. he went defense, right? Linebackers coach, safeties coach, defensive coordinator, head coach. So you're essentially going from one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL to a dude whose main job throughout his career has been defense and has a split role. He's a senior you know, advisor slash offensive line coach and by the way, you have to offensive coordinator like under a different title while you're doing that. That just feels like a that doesn't feel great. All right, let's go to the New York Jets to wrap up the AFC East. How are we doing on time? Yeah, we've been better. Yeah, the New York Jets, man. Another team we should feel optimism, right? Don't you feel optimism for the Jets? Yeah, had one of the best drafts that we liked. I think they've done a nice job adding a lot to the roster. And then we oversimplify this. Zach Wilson's got to play better than 59 overall PFF grade last year. I, my concerns with Zach Wilson are the way it happened, right? Not getting rid of the ball quickly enough. I think his um, – I saw a, a, somebody was pointing out a clip a, a couple of days ago with just his footwork being off. It's one of those – it's like – it's a three-step drop, and he took like three and a half. Hmm. And the timing is completely off. I remember when he was coming out thinking his attention to detail and certain things just weren't there. I mean, there's going to be a lot of improvement from Zach Wilson this year, but I think the rest of the Jets roster is moving absolutely in the right direction. Wilson is one of the best examples in recent years of how little preseason can mean sometimes. Remember last Driving preseason? me crazy. He looked so good last year in the preseason. Right, and it wasn't just, you know, here's a big throw. Look how great that is. It was the stuff you just talked about. That was, was good, the, yeah. It was, he just made everything look really easy. The simple footwork, the simple rhythm, all that stuff. It just looked good. And then we got to the regular season, and it just evaporated, disappeared. And it's like, where the hell was the guy from the preseason? Okay, it was a really low sample size and stuff, but it's just an example of like how little preseason can mean sometimes. Playing well in preseason doesn't necessarily mean anything. Playing badly in preseason may mean something. But that's the th like Wilson just wasn't the guy we thought he was going to be as a rookie. Now, where it gets interesting is I think the Jets have done – a very similar job to the one that Buffalo did when they drafted Josh Allen in terms of building a team around him. I think the job that they've done in New York with the Jets 
has been really good over the last couple of years. They have assembled an offensive line that finished last season, I think, ranked 11th in PFF's offensive line rankings. They add Lakin Tomlinson to that group. They're getting Mekhi Becton back. They should realistically expect this offensive line to be a top 10 unit next year. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker should get better from year one. Like, this this should be a top 10 offensive line. Um, the wide receiver room. The last year, they spent big on Corey Davis. They drafted Elijah Moore. Um, this season, first-round pick, Garrett Wilson. Whether or not Garrett Wilson is a true, you know, elite X receiver, number one, it doesn't really matter. You add another threat to an offense that clearly needed at least one more to allow Corey Davis a little bit of breathing room so that he doesn't have to be that alpha number one guy. And now you just have more weapons to, to work with. You add a couple of tight ends in free agency in Uzama and Tyler Conklin. You draft Brees Hall. You already had, you know, good players in the backfield. That should be a really good offense if Zach Wilson gets better. Now, where it gets tricky with Buffalo is, you know, we saw two years of reasonably bad play from Josh Allen before he broke out and became amazing. Um, you know, the people that were Josh Allen's supporters would say there was a notable difference between year one and year two. And, you know, it didn't necessarily show up in grading, but sure, maybe with hindsight you can find it. Yeah, there were some improvements, but but if ja- if, not Z- if Zach was Wilson before. plays as badly as he did year one with this supporting cast around him, I mean, this is something that Buffalo might not get enough credit for, but it's going to take some real willpower from the Jets next offseason if that happens to say, no, he's still the guy. Like, year three, trust us, it's coming. Yeah. Because I would say most of the time it won't. And it did with Josh Allen. They did have that confidence, but they kind of believed in him from day one. I'm, it, that's the thing. Zach Wilson is now under a bit of pressure because now the situation around him is good. And now you need to actually show up and you know show some kind of improvement and show some of the stuff they thought they were getting when they drafted you. Yeah, just to reiterate some of the things that were concerning, right? We highlighted this a lot last year. Using, uh, using premium stats 2.0, you can kind of see uh, using the time to throw metric, Zach Wilson fifth highest over three seconds right this is what we're talking about with kenny pickett coming out of the draft and all that stuff basically at the same time to throw as justin fields without any of the reason to yeah without the scrambling this is this is snap to the release of the ball or when you cross the line as a runner right which is why guys who run more jalen hurts james winston actually ran a lot last year justin fields lamar jackson taylor heineke josh allen these are the other players at the top there a lot of those guys either just held the ball longer in general or they ran more Zach Wilson had no scrambles compared to the rest of these guys. Um, doesn't really, uh, has less reason to hold the ball long. Yeah. And his average depth of target is lower than all of those guys. So he's just not seeing the field. He's just not yeah. getting rid of the ball quicker. The other thing that goes completely against any sort of uh, anything positive for Zach Wilson is the fact that Mike White came in and ran that off. He threw, what, 400 yards or whatever against the Bengals, dinking and dunking down the field. Now, admittedly, then stink, stank from that point on. But, yeah. All, all I'm saying is there were there were these individual yes. games um, where other quarterbacks came in, ran the same offense with the same personnel, and it looked way better than when Zach Wilson ran it. Yeah. After Zach Wilson came back from injury, there were glimpses. There were glimpses of hope, right? But every rookie quarterback, and Sam Darnold had a lot of glimpses of hope at various points in his career. So still clinging to. I, I think there needs to be incremental improvement from Zach Wilson. There needs to be a drastic improvement here, not just 
um, something minuscule this yeah, season. Every number that Wilson had last year screams just not seeing the field, not seeing defenses. Or getting not, the ball out on time or just or just not seeing a pre-snap or post-snap. So basically the same average time to throw as, as Justin Fields. Um, Justin Fields had three times more scrambles than Zach Wilson from a smaller number of dropbacks. Wilson had like 100 more dropbacks than Justin Fields. Justin Fields had three times more scrambles. And yet they had the same time to throw, which is massively inflated by guys who scramble. Because, you know, you run around and that takes time before you cross the line of scrimmage. Uh, Zach Wilson also had the highest sack rate, pressures turned into sacks of any of those rookie quarterbacks. So, again, that would, that would be a thing that you would say, that's a problem in Justin Fields' game. Wilson's was worse. So 26% of pressures turned into sacks. High number, man. Huge number. Um, he also had a ton of throwaways. Like he was, get, he was throwing the ball away as well. So it's not like he was just holding on to it to try and make plays because he was also chucking the ball away when he was under pressure. So high it, throwaway rate, high sack rate, incredibly high average uh, time to throw at a low average depth of target. Like this is a guy who's just, just drowning out there. Low average depth of target and one of the lowest, fifth lowest adjusted completion percentage yeah with that low again so these are these are numbers where usually if you play a certain style you're going to see your like certain numbers will go up other other numbers will go down these things are working against each other instead of for each other right when it comes to zach wilson and all of this completely boggled the mind because in preseason he was the best yeah him and mac jones looked like the absolute best it was a 20 play sample but decision-making, it was crisp. Everything, he looked ready. And then critically, the thing that made him such a highly coveted draft pick was the special plays, right? Most people, you know, Trevor Lawrence was seen as the best quarterback prospect to come along since whatever. If there was anybody that had a quarterback other than Trevor Lawrence at number one, there were people having Zach Wilson at number one. And it was because of the things, the special plays that he can make. His arm is crazy, and he can make a couple of throws that Trevor Lawrence probably doesn't have in the toolkit. Um, and yet, Zach Wilson had the lowest big-time throw rate of any quor- any of the rookie quarterbacks by essentially a full percentage point. So he had a 2.5% big-time throw rate. That's lower than Tua. That's abysmal. Uh, Lawrence was at 3.4. Davis Mills, 3.8. Uh, Mac Jones, who were saying he needs to up that, 4.4. And then Justin Fields... Like, okay, really high time to throw, really high sack rate, all those kinds of things. But at least he's out here with a 6.1% big-time throw rate because he's trying to make stuff happen. That's the concern for Wilson for me is that all these numbers scream just drowning, not ready, in over his head, overwhelmed. And you weren't even like – you didn't even find the big plays in there. Get out of here, YouTube chat, like we're all numbers. We're just using numbers to describe the action. We watched every single play, every single play. Break down the film. Um, but it was not I mean, good. The numbers last come year. from the tape, right? It's All that just yeah. The numbers we're not just come looking from at the spreadsheet and saying, "Oh, these are some weird numbers that have the numbers up. come from the tape." The numbers have come from watching this guy's tape and seeing him overwhelmed within that offense. Like no. you, you can't watch Zach Wilson last year and come away saying, "Ah, oh, that was." I'm perfectly reassured. All it's that just said, a bad situation. All that said, me, I like others liked Zach Wilson coming out. I think he will get better. I'm just concerned in how it happened. The same way I'm concerned at how Trevor Lawrence's year went. I would have liked to see more glimpses of, of hope so the, than what we actually saw. 
five essentially rookie court no let's call the throw Trey Lance in there as well six rookie quarterbacks if you were uh, Zach Wilson is the one that I would be most concerned about after one year of just based off of rookie performance yes so you know you have the whatever order you had them in last year and then it's what order do you put them in now after we've had a year of NFL evidence whatever that evidence is and in Trey Lance's case it's largely not playing Zach Wilson is the one I think that would harm his drafts or his stock his baseline the most from that one year even though his performance overall was vaguely comparable to Trevor Lawrence which you could argue is still better than Trey Lance who didn't even see the field the way the Wilsons went down in terms of how he reacted just looking completely lost and overwhelmed was the most concerning I think of any of those guys now all that said too I thought there were times I, I like Elijah Moore as a receiver. I thought there were times he kind of hung him out to dry with his route running. I mean, all that stuff. Corey Davis could have caught the ball better. That led to some interceptions. Um, but on paper, they have all the pieces that you mentioned: three potential wide receivers, two tight ends, a much a good offensive line. Right? That was yeah. that was pretty good. That's going to get better. Um, all the pieces to take that step forward. I like adding Brees Hall. Maybe not in the second round, but adding that speed element as well. I think the offense absolutely getting better. The defense, Robert Sala, this is supposed to be his baby. They were embarrassingly bad last year. They gave up over 50 points multiple times. They got run over by the Colts, destroyed by the Patriots. They had some games where they were an absolute train wreck defensively. They had some injuries, what have you. I do think when you were, when we were looking at the Jets roster a couple of years ago, it was like, where do you start? Um, they're bad on both sides of the ball if we're going to compliment what they did on the offense i think they they i think they probably put their resources uh, uh into the offense a year ahead and that made the defense uh, drag behind a little bit but then you have this offseason they add in uh sauce gardner right in the first i love that they took him at number four overall they come back and get jermaine johnson later in the draft carl lawson's coming back from injury they should be better defensively, and it'll probably start with just health, starting with Carl Lawson and, and getting some of these rookies out there as well. Yeah, the defense continues the theme of the offense in terms of I really like what they've been doing to build this group. Um, they have a couple of underrated players already there. John Franklin Myers, I think it's overlooked a lot, is a good player. You get Carl Lawson coming back from injury, who was supposed to be their primary pass rusher last season okay we don't know what he'll be given the injury he's coming back from but should be a significant addition given what was there Jermaine Johnson in the first round the secondary was a mess so you, you double dip you hit free agency and the draft again Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed Bryce Hall who, who we like now doesn't have to be a starter can just see if he can earn some playing time as like a number three corner that group could be decent now you know, there's still some weaknesses, but you can't fix everything in one offseason. But you couldn't you couldn't do much more to the defense in the course of one offseason than they have done. Um, so I think overall the Jets have assembled what should be a very good offense with the question mark being the quarterback and then have gotten a decent way towards repairing a defense that was a wreck. And we'll see how good that can be. Old friend Quan Alexander just signed over there. I had people tagging me in tweets about all the missed tackles he had like five years ago. Yeah. Um, I think they got to figure something out at, at linebacker, though. That's been uh, C.J. Mosley's hardly even seen the field. Hasn't been great when he's been out there. Linebacker has been really bad for the Jets. Um, and all they have, I C.J. Mosley and Quan Alexander at this point, they're just names. They're just names that people know. But 
Salah's defense does you remember he's had Fred Warner he's had Bobby Wagner through the years right they've had this excellent middle linebacker that makes a lot of the offense tick being able to run the seam and all that fun stuff so that's where I think they really need to get better um once again Carl Lawson Jermaine Johnson Quinn and Williams up front they've got some pieces there I think there still will be some growing pains here but I think it's I think this is also moving in the right direction defensively yeah and to me that's the Jets season moving in the right direction both sides of the ball rosters getting better I think at the end of the year the Jets I think Jets fans will be optimistic that a lot of the pieces that they have will be helpful for 2023 maybe they overachieve this year as well it's just so tough with everyone else if we're going to talk about the entire AFC I mean the Jets over under is five and a half it's the third low tied for the third lowest total in the NFL they're all realistic expectations could they go over grab six or seven wins sure but man it's going to be tough so where do you land on the Jets yeah it they have such a broad range of outcomes I think because they could easily be under that if if Zach Wilson doesn't get any better in year two you know if he doesn't if he performs the same if we end up with another PFF grade of like 58 Jets aren't winning many games at all particularly given the rest of the AFC but like if he takes a jump given the situation around him they could actually be pretty good not just better than they were or slightly better than their win total they could be you know a reasonable team um albeit working against all the, that this really tough conference so I I I was really concerned by what we saw from him. Let's lean under that win total. We get to see a lot of uh, Zach Wilson against the other rookies. He'll play Trevor Lawrence again at the end of the year. He'll play Mac Jones a couple times, Justin Fields. Those will be some some fun matchups. I will say over. Mm. So I'm saying over for everybody? Yeah. No, no I'm two to two. No, I'm over three out of four. Under the Jets. Under five and a half of the Jets. Nobody's going to remember what I say except fans um all right let's go to the uh nfc east that's it right just yeah, four more teams the other uh, east oh man keep the energy man keep the energy we're going nfc east dallas cowboys first up yeah let's go dallas cowboys mm-hmm. cowboys lost in the divisional round was it the wild card wild card round uh, to the 49ers yes. losing the wild card round it was the uh disastrous end of game play calling right Dak they ran QB draw couldn't get the uh couldn't get that last play out there yeah um weird sequence I think most teams let me know if this I'm going to pose a question let me know if this is fair Mr. Positive over here Mm -hmm. you can look back at the offseason and be pretty positive at this time of year for like 26 or 27 teams I feel like you can easily talk yourself into things are better this year than last year because we have these draft picks we have these free agents and everybody's going to get better there's always a handful of teams where it feels like eh, i don't think they're better the cowboys are one of those teams are the cowboys one of the teams that didn't actually get better since last year let me let me answer your question by reading you a quote and uh and just well, get your reaction from I'd, it. I'd expect nothing less mm. uh jerry jones big fan of jerry right you are, you are a huge <laughs> fan of jerry, jerry. I love Jerry. That's how a billionaire should be. You know, if I had billions of dollars, that's kind of how I'd act. Uh, Quote, no, seriously, Zeke's got to be our feature. And he is our feature. We can feature him in a lot of different ways. We all recognize what he does in the passing game because of his protection ability. Don't ever underestimate that ability with Zeke. Zeke uh, takes some tolls when he's out there as a bank blocking. So it's critical that we make Zeke, because he's capable of being that, really the focus of what we're doing. 
end quote. What year is that quote from? A day ago. Oh, no. Yeah. Because if it was 2017 or something like that, I'd say, okay, that's Jerry. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not. Well, hopefully Jerry's not calling plays. No, but <laughs> I would say he has a very tight leash in the guy who is. Look, Zeke was, he was banged up last year. He did play better when he was healthy. He was yeah. banged up. But I think we all know that's not where the offense, where it rolls through. I mean, it's where it might roll through, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't be, no. At this point, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think Zeke should be the starting running back right now in Dallas. Tony Pollard has outperformed him for the last two years straight. And, yeah, you can say, okay, Zeke's been injured and blah, and we haven't seen Tony Pollard carry the load. And like, yeah, but you're only going to see that by fl- flipping the rolls. The only way you're going to find out if Tony Pollard can carry the ball 25 times a game is by letting him take a crack at it, which he's earned at this point by dramatically outperforming Zeke Elliott, even in similar situations. So, look, I think that's an issue. I think the Zeke Elliott contract has been like a giant millstone around the neck of the Cowboys for a couple of years now, and it's cost them in a bunch of ways. It's cost them by not expanding Tony Pollard's role as much as it should. It's cost them by getting rid of guys like Amari Cooper because his contract looked bad, and he couldn't get rid of Zeke's contract because of the guaranteed money at this point. So they're, they're behind, they're getting sort of dragged down by this deal that looked like a bad idea at the time, you know? And there were people in the Dallas building that didn't want to do it. Now, the more important people in the building did, they so it did. got done. But there were people within Dallas that understood signing Zeke Elliott to a monster deal would be a mistake. Yeah. I mean, so just to go back to my, my point, it feels like the Cowboys got worse. I'm sure there might be Cowboys fans who are like, good riddance with Amari Cooper and Connor Williams and his 18 penalties and all that stuff but I would say those guys are those guys are good and you're you're missing a couple good players there you're missing a Randy Gregory I mean you're missing you're missing some players that were serious contributors I think what made Dallas because let's not forget they were kind of like New England remember New England had I was talking about these games where they were really really good and other games where they just couldn't do much offensively Dallas had those games too they had these games where they were so dominant offensively and it's like, all right, go try to cover all of us, right? You can't even cover Dalton Schultz now because he's, he's open because you're worried about all of our receivers. That's Dallas at their best. And I think they've lost a little bit of that without having Amari Cooper and having to just rely more on C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup. Gallup's probably not going to be ready early in the season, so that puts an even bigger damper on that receiving core. Um, you have, you're relying on rookie first-rounder Tyler Smith to replace Connor Williams. And you got to figure out the pass rush that you lose from Randy Gregory defensively. Yeah, like you look at the uh, the rest of the league and you got a bunch of teams that can realistically expect their baseline to be better than it was a year ago. We upgrade in a bunch of spots and there's a, a various range of outcomes here, but the majority of the outcomes should be an upgrade over the previous season. Dallas, you look at their range of outcomes and you would say the best we can hope for is to stay where we were a year ago. The best we can hope for is that Jalen Tolbert can replace Amari Cooper, and when Michael Gallup gets better, gets back healthy, we're, we're where we were last season in terms of wide receiver group. That's the best you can hope for. And expecting, you know, we've seen a lot of success from rookies, rookie wide receivers, but Jalen Tolbert coming in and being Amari Cooper day one, that's that's a high bar to set. It's possible, but and I I really like Jalen Tolbert. I'm excited about the opportunity he'll get particularly early in the year with, with Michael Gallup out. But that's a big ask. Um, offensive line, as you said, going from Connor Williams, who a lot of Dallas fans didn't like Connor Williams because he was a, a second-round pick. 
um, high draft pick, and all the other high draft picks they had over that period were all pros. So they had Tyron Smith, best left, left tackle in the game for a while. Um, Travis Frederick was the best center in the game for a while. Zach Martin has become the best guard in the game over the last couple of years and has always been good. So three players that were drafted high in that offensive line who were arguably the best player at their position for an extended period of time and Connor Williams, who wasn't, but was okay. Like he became a quality starting player at a position where, where depth in the league is actually pretty sketchy. And you go very quickly from good players to not good players on that offensive line. He was not a bad player which is worth something now you have to replace the not a bad player with somebody else who can be not a bad player and that's again not necessarily a slam dunk um and so there's just more there's more question marks yeah and the pass rush as you said with randy gregory can they replace that like it is not going to be easy for dallas to stay where they were a year ago yeah, it's, it's easy to also say, well, yeah, Mike, you have Micah Parsons, right? Be excited about Micah Parsons. To be, I, We also, we, we think Demarcus Lawrence is, is really, really good. Wasn't as good last year as some previous seasons, but... And missed time injury, like if he stays yeah. healthy. We think Demarcus Lawrence is really, really good, and that pairing with Micah Parsons is great. They're better when it's Randy Gregory in the mix as well, and then you have more flexibility. So um, some of their advantages from last year with depth at receiver really few holes on the offensive line depth at edge rusher they just lose those for this year uh, i want to talk Dak for a minute because he had a weird season too right like, it, it's great that we have um six years of data now five and a half years of of Dak prescott right and it was like a roller coaster ride early on and it looked like he settled in as this okay maybe Dak's arrived as this top 10 quarterback top eight to 10 quarterback getting paid as such but he has the calf injury in week six against the patriots and his play tapered off. And I, I don't – I think it tapered off to kind of whatever Dak is, right? He finishes with with an 83.5 passing grade. That's his best grade of his career. Um, he's, he's had a few years in the low 80s. It's fine. The turnover-worthy plays, though, just kind of came out of nowhere down the stretch. He had a game with four, and he had three other games with two, and then a game with three, which was against San Francisco in the playoffs. Dak just um, – other than, you know, a couple games against – like against Washington, they just straight dominated against Philly's backups that shouldn't even count week mm-hmm. 18. Against some bad teams, Dak looked, Dak looked good, but he had some rough games down the stretch. And I don't think there's not like a clear reason why. Well, I think there is. Um, you know, ready for the, the, the analogy tracker, the, the little tally coming up? Get it going. Dak to me is a finely tuned race car engine you know, a motor, where those things run on weird fuels. They all have various custom-made components, and they're very fragile relative to, like, the engine that you have in the minivan, Steve. The minivan's engine should run for, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles. You barely need to touch that thing, and it'll just keep on trucking because it's made out of, like, pig iron and idiot-proof components, right? Dank Prescott is made out of all these fancy carbon ceramic things, and the second one thing you screw up with the engine— it stops running right, right? And there's like a misfire, and it's just you're not getting 100% out of it. That's Dak Prescott, where the second one thing is off, it changes dramatically his output. Whether it's you take away a wide receiver, Amari Cooper's out of the lineup, you're not getting 100% of Dak Prescott. You're having a pretty big drop-off. All of a sudden, the dude's got a calf injury. Oop, now, we're not, now we're getting 80% of Dak. We're not getting the full Dak Prescott experience. So... I think what we've seen from the years of Dak Prescott data right now is that if you give him the 100%, you know, the full 
race-tuned experience. You give them the fancy race fuel, you give them the carbon ceramic parts, you give them the, the high-end uh, lubricants and belts and whatever else you put in these engines, you get a really high level of play from Dak Prescott. But the second you mess with one of those things, it's not the same, and it's a big difference. And that, I think he's maybe the most susceptible quarterback in the NFL to any kind of change of his, in his environment. You are a metaphoric genius. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. The, the I big, think you nailed it, though. And look, the injury might not be there from last year, and who knows? Like, that could have just been a random freak thing. It could have been compensating from the, the injury that he had the year before, which, you know, can happen sometimes. Um, or, you know, he, he might get injured this year. But the big thing to me is you've taken away Amari Cooper from his offense. You've taken away one of his targets. And, okay, you can talk about how that target may have been underperforming, but he isn't there anymore. That's a big thing now because we know that Dak Prescott plays worse when you start screwing around with his wide receivers. So you've taken one of those away, and then you're hoping that the guys that are still there can perform at the same level and that he doesn't get injured. Yeah, it's um... – I like the analogy on Dak. I think there's some history there. It's just, it's weird to me that Amari Cooper's kind of like run himself out of town or soured on people, but the evidence is strong. Dak got better. The offense got better with Amari Cooper. Yeah. And we always talk about having three awesome receivers is a great way to win in the NFL. And I think that's a reason why the Dallas offense was so good. And I'm sure, again, there's probably some Cowboys fans saying, but Dak had 38 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Like you can't get much better than that. How do you, how do you do better than that? Um, because I think a lot of those numbers did come because even with Gallup hurt last year, the rest of the offense was very good. I think Kellen Moore as a play caller, maybe not specific situationally, but holistically, Kellen Moore got the most out of the, that offense. That's why he ranked higher in our offensive coordinator rankings. Not because he called a draw with the game on the line, not these specific one-off calls, but holistically, given what the offense had and what they produced, they produced a lot for a quarterback that had an 83 passing grade, which is good, not great. So on one hand, you say, hey, maybe with Kellen Moore there, they, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out. But I like, the, I like the Dak analogy. So I'm thinking we're getting more low 80s play. The There's production just... goes down a little bit because you don't have those same pieces at playmaker or on the offensive line. There's so many potential areas of regression. Like last season, in terms of EPA per play, Dallas ranked sixth in the NFL. Really good. I, there's almost no way they can achieve that again. So they're going to be worse. So if they're they're now somewhere ranked in the top 10, say, but that, like, if you're 10th versus 6th, that's a lot to overcome if you're planning on making a Super Bowl. So then defensively... Or even winning a playoff game. So defensively, we mentioned we like the edges, Demarcus Lawrence and whatever they do with Micah Parsons. They drafted Sam Williams to maybe help with the pass rush. You bring in a Dante Fowler. I mean, in an ideal world, Dan Quinn on the defensive side of the ball wants to be able to move Micah Parsons around, right, like they did last year. Mm -hmm. But on paper, too, it doesn't look like – I mean, it looks like Parsons, who's probably their best pass rusher, you want to use him in that role a little bit more. And it just – you lose a little bit of that flexibility because it's one of those things where if you add Micah Parsons to the edge group, it looks good. and the, But you take him away from the linebackers and they look bad. When you add Micah Parsons to the linebackers, they look good. But the edge group doesn't look good. So it's not like Shohei Otani, Sam, yeah. where he can legitimately be not. like two players at the same time. You know, he could pitch and hit, yeah. as you know. Uh -huh. What do you think about him being like Babe Ruth? I mean, it's... it's Legit Babe Ruth. It's alien stuff. 
imagine in football if you could have a guy that was literally worth two different players. Yeah. Because Parsons isn't. He can't literally play two positions. Well, he can play offense and defense, not two different players on defense. Yeah. I think more NFL teams should try that. Like when Dion did it, I, more teams should try two-way players. I would imagine that's very tiring. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But you just you need a guy that's uh, do a little blood doping and stuff like that. You can like, make it happen. I wasn't in love with running down on special teams and then going straight out there and playing free safety. And that was just one run. I know? wonder if there's a, a world where you have like a, a slot receiver and a slot corner. So it's 40 snaps both sides of the ball yeah. rather than 80 on one side. I mean, that's 70. Yeah, that's that would probably be a, closer to doable. But I certainly, I was like, you know, knackered after running downfield to cover a kickoff. And then it's knackered. like, right, now you got to play free safety. And let's just hope they don't pass the first play. Like that, was, that wasn't fun. Yeah. And that was, that's a pretty limited thing, you know? Yeah, I can't imagine having played an entire series on offense and then playing an entire series on defense. So the other thing that might not happen the same way as last year is Trayvon Diggs having all those interceptions. Yeah. I'm on record as saying I think he'll play better. I think he'll have a, I think he'll be a better football player this year, but with like half as many interceptions yeah. at best. Um, and we saw this like a year ago, right? Xavier Howard went from leading the league with 10 interceptions and then what did he get? Exactly half that number the next season? Yeah, yeah. five. He went from 10 to five. And the year before that, he had one. So like, we've seen this every, every time one of these guys pops off and has a monster year in terms of interceptions. It almost never happens again. Delph O'Neal, remember him? Had, yeah. had, I think he did that twice, but they were never like, they weren't consecutive. He had random, oh, look, there's Delph O'Neal leading the league in interceptions. And then does, like, that guy barely even made it in the NFL as like a long-term starting corner. Even in college, David Amerson. Remember David Amerson? Yes. NC State. He had 12 picks one year. And then won the next year and had a mediocre NFL career, right? So um, interceptions are not the best indicator of future performance. Xavier Howard, though, is an awesome corner. He does tend to turn the ball over more than others. Um, It's going to be tough for Diggs to do that. But I also think Diggs is a good corner, right? I think he's fine. I think um, he gave up some plays last year. It's it's not always right to just use coverage yards and all that stuff. The fact that he gave gave up over 1,000. But I think he'll be better. They have a solid back end. His argument in terms of how good he was last year is built almost entirely off the back of those interceptions. Yeah. And and when I say that, I mean even when you start diving deeper and start using more advanced numbers and you're like, oh, the EPA per play when targeting Trayvon Diggs was the lowest in the NFL. Well, of course it was. He picked the ball off 11 times and nothing will affect EPA per play more than a turnover. Yeah, so there's a difference between saying what Trayvon Diggs last year was really, really valuable, right? The plays where he caught the ball for an interception were extremely valuable. You want nothing more from your corner, right? The argument against it is that it wasn't always his skill that led to that, right? So we're evaluating what the player uh, uh, brought to the table production-wise, tipped passes and things yeah. like that that weren't necessarily him versus was it valuable? Of course it was. And now the discussion is changing because... Now we're not even talking about how good is the year he's having slash has just had because that's, that's last year's conversation. Now the question is, what does last year tell you about what he's going to be this year? Because the interceptions thing is almost meaningless. Like you, He's not going to have 11 interceptions this year. In fact, the chances are he's going to have half that at best, right? So if he does that, now we're talking about a totally different player. And now he needs to take the step forward that you're talking about 
to even remain at the same kind of level. Right, like don't give up over a thousand yards in coverage. Again, if we, even if we don't assign every single one, don't give up as many big plays in coverage. Or the eleven penalties, or whatever, like all of the negative numbers. Yeah. Now you need to do. You need to cut down on those dramatically because you're probably going to have half the interceptions. Right. And this is the story of Dallas's offseason. It's regression everywhere. So. How are you going to stay just at the level you were last year if, if Trayvon Diggs doesn't pick off 11 passes? And the hope is, we'll get to the rest of the NFC East soon, the hope is that the other teams just didn't improve enough. Which, they, which might be true in the which, NFC. Which, which really not, might be true, right? It's not true in the AFC. Yeah, like if Dallas was in the AFC, you'd be like, man, they're getting worse, everybody else is getting better. This, this is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. All that said, I think Dallas's baseline was high. Um, if they had made the conference championship last year, I wouldn't have been surprised. I think they were a conference championship caliber team last year. They disappointed with a first-round exit. So I think they make the playoffs. I think they win the division. I don't feel as good about their Super Bowl chances this year as I did last year, though. That's my bottom line on Dallas. What's their win total? I lost it. I don't even know if they're winning the division. I know. I know. So their win total is 10. DraftKings has them at 10. I mean, the Chiefs and the Rams are at 10.5. The Cowboys are tied with a win total over-under of 10, tied with the 49ers, Broncos, Bengals, Chargers, and Colts. The, you know, Vegas is still confident in the Cowboys. You're going over or under the 10. I think I have an idea where. Uh, no, I'll go over. I think I'll, Oh, you're uh, going over here. I okay. uh, give them 11 wins. They're still good. All right. Dallas Cowboys, you're going over. I'm going to go over as well. So that's what I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like I a microcosm everybody... of this podcast. You know, you go over every win total. I'll go under every win But total. then when I, when I transition, I'm like, no, no, I'll go under. And then I'm like, hey, next team. And then people forget it. Yeah. Maybe I'll go under the Cowboys. Hey, New York Giants. Let's talk about the Giants. Okay. Only three more teams to discuss. Well, yeah, get a move on then. All right. Giants. What do you think? Brian Dable comes in. Joe Shane. Whole new regime here. Yeah. With the Giants. The big so, question mark is Daniel Jones. What are they going to do with him and all that stuff? They've already not necessarily um, invested in him in the long term. What should Giants fans be hoping for this year, basically? Well, the other issue is that they were, they were in a situation, usually when a regime comes in, it's a sweeping change, you know, and everything gets blown up or, or whatever. There's, there's significant adjustments that get made. Sometimes new regimes come in and they just don't have the, they just don't have the wiggle room to play with because the previous regime has put them in that kind of bind where they don't have a ton of cap space, they don't, you know, all those kinds of things. So the Giants made some nice moves in the draft in particular, but even that, it was like day one was great. After day one, it went off the rails, at least according to you know our interpretations. Um, they weren't really able to do much in, in free agency in terms of spending. There's some additions to that offensive line. I, I don't hate what they did there, but they weren't able to make the kind of overhaul that they, I sure would have liked to make if they had a free reign of spending money. So the expectations on what they can achieve have to be much more moderate because they just haven't done enough for you to say this team's going to take a giant leap forward unless Brian Daywell plus Daniel Jones is able to achieve something freaky. Which, yeah. you know, seems unlikely. Yeah. And t- look, is Daniel Jones, I always, my phrase, top 32 starting quarterback? He's probably there. Is he yeah. a top 32? Maybe. Yeah, probably. I think he is. And honestly, he's not that much different than what we had thought coming out. I thought there'd be maybe more volatility <laughs> to him. We got to be fair to Daniel Jones the same way we're fair to Tua, the way you described with Tua. Has the situation been good yet? Yeah. Has Daniel Jones yet? had a good enough offensive line no um the big free agent signing your favorite stat kenny galladay for 18 million a year one fewer touchdown than left tackle Andrew. Oh, not Thomas. just galladay 
uh, Andrew Thomas, the left tackle, outscored both their first-round wide receiver and their big free agent wide receiver addition. Yikes. And this Which, is so, but that's that's like, Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony. But if you're looking for an area of encouragement or a potential sea change in what's happening with New York, it's the receiving core because they've invested heavily in it and it hasn't worked yet. And in large part, it hasn't worked because guys have been hurt or banged up and it's just not been there at the same time together. In theory, on paper, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Kadarius Tony, add in Wondell Robinson now in the draft, Darius Slayton, that's a good group of receivers. Now, you know, we haven't... Kenny Galladay didn't have a good year last year. And the entire group has been banged up with injuries and never been on the field, like, consistently at the same time together. But if it does, if it does hang together and they get, you know, the other end of injury luck or whatever, and they figure out how to make the most of Kadarius Tony, and we've already seen training camp's great, right? Because whatever your priors are, you can buy into it. Kadarius oh, yeah. Tony's made a spectacular catch in training camp. We're going to figure it out. We're going to get him on the, the right page. I'm just saying there's a world where that receiving group is good, and that'll help Daniel Jones to no end if the offensive line is able to hold its head up above water. But if, it, you know, if they have another year where they've had, like the last couple of years, where the, offensive line, or where the receiving group just can't stay healthy or on the field, you know, then, then no. The, uh, the Kadarius-Tony thing, because last year at this time, like, he didn't have a catch the first week and a half of camp or something ridiculous, right? I think were the reports. But, man, that Dallas game last year made me change my thoughts. But, yeah, but Kateria the problem is Tony. it's just that game. I know it was, but it showed what he was capable of, man. It was unbelievable how good he looked. In, including the playoffs, Kadarius Tony was top 10 amongst rookie receivers in yardage. He was eighth in terms of catches and ninth in terms of targets. And most of that production came in yeah, that Take Dallas out the game. Dallas game, and it's you know, like the Dallas like game spots. almost accounts for half of that yardage. He got 420 yards or something. He had 189 against Dallas. We're, we're PFF. We're supposed to buy into consistency and production and all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, look at what he's capable of. And I know what Kenny Galladay is capable of. So the question is, are, would you be surprised if this Giants offense looked really good? And, and Dable's offense in Buffalo because um, their tight end situation is not great. Buffalo never really relied on their tight end. They relied on their receivers. Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Kadarius Tony, as you mentioned, you bring in Wandale. Those guys, if if those guys produce as a good group, I wouldn't be terribly su- surprised. No. Um, the offensive line definitely has to get better. They were, they've got creep back toward average ability here. Andrew Thomas did take a great step forward in year two. Evan Neal's the rookie right tackle. Mark Lewinsky comes in in free agency. They added a few pieces. Shane Lemieux comes back potentially healthy. So three-fifths of that offensive line could be decent there, which is much better than they've been trotting out recently. Yeah. Saquon Barkley comes back. Yeah. That could be nice if he stays healthy and never got to see this offense, right? Never got to see all those playmakers. Yeah. Barkley coming out of the backfield. And there the, are intriguing pieces here. And that's the thing to hang your hat on if you're looking for some kind of jump forward is, is in theory, this offense from a, just a talent standpoint has been way better than we've seen the last couple of years because they've all been banged up and injured and never on the field at the same time. If you do get Kenny Galladay and Sterling Shepard and Kadarius Toney and Saquon Barkley all performing behind an offensive line that's fine, that's okay, that should be okay. Like Even if Daniel Jones doesn't get any better, that should be fine. Um, it would be huge for them, I think, if Evan Neal was really good right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's fairly self-evident. But like, if Evan Neal is the next of the offensive linemen 
to kind of come in and be good from day one. You know, the the uh, the Rashawn Slater and Panay Sewells of the world. Like if he's that next guy, Tristan Wirfs, that would be huge because all of a sudden you've got good bookends, a tackle. If one of your interior guys can be okay, that's starting to look like a line where you can actually work around the limitations. And then you're just feeling if you know you've got pieces on the offensive line and some playmakers, whether you draft a quarterback the next year or just for this year to get a better look at Daniel Jones, right? Like get one last, get maybe the best look at Daniel Jones in his career, right? Which is, you know, again, he won't be under pressure like crazy. Now, granted, Jones invites pressure a little bit more, holds the ball, fumbles, things like that. He's got to improve in those areas as well. Um, Defensively, cupboard's bare, man. I yeah. mean, you lose. They they couldn't they couldn't pay James Bradbury. He didn't have a great year last year, but once again, in our world of build from the back to the front, make sure you got two or three good corners. It looks a lot better when it's James Bradbury and Adoree Jackson back there. Yeah, it's actually a nice starting one-two punch. You don't have that anymore. So you're talking about guys like Aaron Robinson being thrown in, Radarius Williams, Darnay Holmes, uh, na- guys who haven't made names for themselves yet, right? Um, Don Mar- Martindale comes in to run this offense uh to run this defense do they want to does he want to play the way they played give him his proper name please wink there you go sorry wink martindale they have to are they going to run the same offense they play that they ran in baltimore is this going to be like blitz like blitzing like crazy do the actual pass rushers not matter as much probably not because they drafted Kayvon thibodeau in the top 10 right so um it'll be interesting to see how they how they play this defensively with wink with Wink, yeah. Sorry, um, I usually use nicknames here, too. Bradbury showed just how bad the sort of situation was that the old regime had left in that I think they would have liked to keep James Bradbury, but for the saving of $8 million or whatever it was, they had to let him go, um, which is a particular problem because he ends up signing with a division rival and it gets even worse. Uh, so that that just shows the, the limitations this team was working with this offseason. Um yeah, the the dynamic with Wink coming in is going to be interesting because usually those types of hyper-aggressive defenses place extra emphasis on the corners because they're going to be in man coverage a ton without a lot of help and they need to hold up. That's the opposite of the, what you would look and say, this is the strength of this Giants defense, where all of a sudden, like, okay, if we could hide the corners as best as possible, that would be great. Um, so how that works. Exactly, yeah, the Ravens built – from back to front right because they had they you know they added marcus peters and they had marlon humphrey and they always made sure that they were rolling four and five deep at corner so that they could manufacture pressure up front yeah and it was a great strategy the giants don't have the personnel to do that right now so we, i don't know if we're going to see this you know full defense yeah i i don't know that this defense is going to be very good at all this year uh, but it is going to be interesting to see what type of scheme they dial up with Martindale coming in my hope for the Giants such as they are would rest on the offense because I think there is a world where all those talented playmakers stay healthy all year and that is that's pretty transformative that can take them forward by quite a lot if they're able to do that I think it's another learning year it's not full rebuild so to speak but it's you know who who's part of the future here another one of those who is part of the Giants future the over under for the Giants is seven which again I think shows it's the same as the Steelers and it's um it's higher than teams like the Jaguars higher than the Jets so once again it's not necessarily full rebuild it's the NFC but over under seven wins for the Giants I'm going under on this wow 
I'm not as optimistic. Yeah. The Giants. I mean, I'm going under as well. Okay, great. I mean, that, it feels like a six-win team. Yeah. Unless, once again, Dable can work magic. I don't know if he's ready to do that just yet. I like where the organization's going. I like where both New York that teams are That would be two going. wins better than last year. True. I like where the Giants and Jets are going. I just don't know if we're going to see it on the field this year. There's always surprises, though. All right, let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, this team's got the offseason hype. Yeah. Is it only based off of A.J. Brown, though? Because, uh, you know, in free agency, it was just kind of like sit in the back and, you know, grab a couple guys here and there. No. A.J. Brown is what really... Yeah. For me, that that put that put it over the top. I though. mean, look, that A.J. Brown moves the needle more than anything else they did. But I think everything else they did was also good. I mean, they are the team that picked up James Bradbury for peanuts. All of a sudden, James Bradbury being added to a secondary that already has Darius Slay, um, good safe, like decent safety play, like that's that's useful. I want to put some numbers to the Bradbury thing. He only had a 62 grade last year, but if you look at his three-year wins above replacement with him and Darius Slay, it adds up to about 0.8 wins. Um, it's a that's a really good one-two punch at corner 0.8 wins I know it sounds weird having decimals and all that stuff but for a starting cornerback duo that's similar to the Dolphins what that's what Xavier Howard and Byron Jones average that's what some of the other top cornerback duos add it's a, it was a, a very shrewd move because again you look at the all, Eagles depth chart it's like man what are they going to do a corner opposite Darius Slay it looks ridiculous until you pick up James Bradbury for peanuts and now based off his three-year sample the potential's through the roof there in the secondary yeah so and the scheme fits nice i think bradbury is a great addition um i love their draft generally particularly when you factor in the aj brown thing but even independent of that adding jordan davis adding to kobe dean who genuinely has a chance to be a steal of the draft i was like, wondering what you were typing and smiling about over there you're you're tweeting at me well just you know you who doesn't think that sky moore is going to be the number one receiver in kansas city um She's, she's, well, the man's getting hyped, hyped all over the place in training camp so far. So you know, just I'm right. just going to keep keep you abreast of the situation. You sent me a 59 second clip, anyway, which is the same play. Look, doesn't matter. The, the man's trending, literally trending right now because of how much he's dominating training camp. Good catch. So Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean, who has a chance to be the steal of the draft. Uh, they chose their spots in free agency. They uh, brought in Hassan Reddick, who is a limited player a you know has a very specific skill set but i think it's one they needed in this defense and then the big transformative move was aj brown who i mean when you consider aj brown is their first round draft pick effectively they bring in aj brown for a first round pick and then they pay him the contract they were unusually able to throw that kind of money at a wide receiver because the rest of that wide receiver room is on nothing they're all on rookie contracts uh, Devontae Smith, Arcega Whiteside, Jalen Rager, Quez Watkins, these are all guys getting paid nothing, John Hightower. So they can throw a ton of money <clears throat> at A.J. Brown because they're not paying the rest of that group. And A.J. Brown will be that number one alpha, the, you know, the, the dude, the guy that he's been in Tennessee for years. But I think that also has the chance to make a real impact on the rest of that group. Devontae Smith, if you had concerns about him after his rookie season, which was good, it's not like he was bad as a rookie, but if you're looking at that and saying Heisman Trophy winner in college, one of the best college careers, college seasons you've ever seen, but he's 166 pounds, does that fly at the next level? You would, if that was your question as him as a prospect, you would still have that question after year one. 
He, he did a lot of good things. He was open a lot. But I don't know if the 166 pounds things flies against, you know, legit physical press corners. Now he doesn't need to do that because A.J. Brown's going to take that kind of coverage. Brown has one of the best uh, statistical profiles in the NFL against press coverage, against uh, man coverage. He is your true alpha that can go and win those situations because he's 220. Devontae Smith now can just concentrate on playing Z wide receiver against off coverage against guys that can't cover his route running ability and just be the hell wide open all the time. So AJ Brown, I don't think is going to have just the impact that he'll have as a number one receiver, but he'll make Devonte Smith better by making his job easier. All of this is good for, for Jalen Hurts. Who... It's all good for Jalen Hurts. Absolutely. I mean, look, the other high-level thing, again, I always say, there's teams that run the ball first, and, and you want to see them have the ability to win through the pass game. Like, the Eagles can do that now, right? Won't they have other games where they'll be able to ro- rely on the pass game? Because when they did decide to run the ball last year behind an excellent offensive line, which is pretty much intact, right, from last year, excellent offensive line good run blocking tight end with dallas goddard now you have the ability if the run game isn't there and some of the easy stuff that you create off of the run game having a game a game breaker like aj brown to go with Devonte smith to go with dallas goddard i like it a lot yeah and maybe o- one of those maybe quez Watkins or rager or whatever just becomes a deep threat if they're still around just becomes a a complimentary piece and you don't have to rely on those guys as much the only question now is what can jalen hurts become because, I mean, it's, it's the obvious question, but it's also one that determines how good this team becomes. If, he, if he's essentially the same guy as he was last year, but with a slightly better situation around him in terms of a, you know, now he has a true number one and Devontae Smith's job is a bit easier, it's, it's fine. It's good. I mean, he, what did he grade, like, top? He was Seven, 77 overall grade. Which fueled, is 14th overall. But 69 passing grade. Yeah. I mean, that's the concern. He ranked 20th in passing grade. But his rushing threat is a big part. I think he should be looked at in terms of overall versus passing. But if he doesn't get significantly better than that 69 passing grade, that's going to place a cap on how good this offense can be. Because one of the best offensive lines in the league and a good receiving core and you know, a good running situation is only going to mean so much if the quarterback cannot be relied on in the most critical times to make the biggest plays all the time. And so far, we don't know if Jalen Hurts can do that. Hurts did take a big step forward from his rookie year. Remember, he, they, they won some games with him. The offense uh, performed better with him versus Carson Wentz, but we were talking about Wentz in 2020 having his worst season and being the worst starting quarterback so it was it was a low baseline but Hertz was one of those guys who were like man he's getting away with all these turnover worthy plays as a rookie like let's let's pump the brakes a little bit he did he improved in all of those areas um turnover worthy plays still an issue uh he does hold the ball a lot because he scrambles a little bit he's not as dynamic of a runner as Lamar Jackson but he's very good um so there's a lot to like about Hertz but there are the 69 passing grade up from 57 up to to 69 last year i mean if you get that up to 75 76 which could be i mean that might just be the aj brown factor getting the getting it up to that then you you're talking about a very dangerous eagles team a team that can win through the air more consistently than they have in recent years it's isn't it funny that it feels like jalen hurts is a perfect example of a guy who's the perception on him right now is entirely dependent on where you started it's like, you know, when you go into movies and you had high expectations and you're like, ah, oh, this movie kind of sucked. But if you went in and you didn't know anything about it, you're sort of pleasantly surprised as opposed to disappointed. That, if you liked Jalen Hurts coming out, 
you're kind of disappointed and underwhelmed by where he's gone after two years. If you thought he was garbage coming out, and you're like, this guy has no shot of being an NFL quarterback, you're actually pleasantly surprised that, hey, well, this is actually not bad. It's way better than I thought he'd be, and he has taken a step forward. The first part, though, I disagree with. If you liked Jalen Hurts coming out, you're like, perfect. Second-year trajectory? He graded no, at 70. I think there's a lot of people that were, like, really high in Jalen Hurts no, coming man, out I mean, that are not high in him now. My concern, like, I, I wasn't terribly high on him, but I liked him as a second-round pick because you just don't know, right? I didn't like maybe takes too many sacks, wasn't great under pressure, and some of these other things. He seems to just get a little bit better. And he's just got this history of he wanted Alabama and wanted Oklahoma, maybe not in a uh, traditional sense. He doesn't get he, – he's late on throws but accurate. You know what I mean? It's like he's good enough as a runner but not great. So a lot of the way he did things – didn't always seem like they would translate, but they always seem to translate. But I think if you were high on Jalen Hurts, you're like, you took the team to the playoffs in the second year. Look at him. Now give him a number one. Watch what he does. It is a big year for Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. See if he's the future. Um, their defense is fascinating to watch because so much rests on these new additions, particularly you know, Jordan Davis. What can he be? Because the ceiling is like off the charts. The classic example of that Bill Parcells planet theory thing. Yeah. There literally isn't anybody walking around this planet that's that's Jordan Davis. Like he had one of the best combines of all time for a dude that size. It it doesn't get any better than that. And we've seen his tape of Georgia is full of these plays where like he's the only guy in the world that can do that. Now he's got to do that for more. He's got to make a bigger impact. He's got to have a, a larger amount of playing time. And we've just got to see the whole thing scale up. And part of the Jordan Davis discussion is similar to the A.J. Brown discussion and all of this wide receiver one discussion. If the wide receiver one elevates every other receiver in the passing game in general and the quarterback, they're worth every penny. If Jordan Davis, as a 340-pound, incredible athlete, freak, that can do a lot of things and help you play the run with fewer players in the box, theoretically, he may, uh, even if he's a run defender he makes the pass coverage better, right? Theoretically. <clears throat> so that's, that's going to be the test here. Is Jordan Davis, um, is he going to be a guy that they move around along the defensive front? Um, Vita Vea is, is, and Dexter Lawrence are the other 340-pounders, 350-pounders of the last few years who have been valuable in those types of roles. And they don't just play nose tackle. And they also came, Dexter Lawrence and Vita Vea were outstanding college players by our system from a production standpoint. Jordan Davis was a good college player who barely played over 400 snaps in any given season, right? Was, uh, so there's a lot of questions there, but I can't wait to see how they use him there. But uh, finally on that, they were sick uh, 20th yards per attempt with a six-man box last year. Like that's that number, not just yards per attempt, but EPA. They're, that's that number. That's the thing that they're trying to improve upon in Philly. And then I think, you know, N'Kobe Dean has a similar type of ceiling. Heck yeah. He's he's obviously not the physical freak that uh, Jordan Davis is, but this the entire Georgia defense was stuffed full of insane talents, first-rounders, all these kinds of things. N'Kobe Dean was the best player in that defense. Now, you can debate how much of that is due to the fact that, hey, he also had Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker and these other guys around him, and he didn't have to work through as much trash and didn't have – you know, he was helped – by the other good players around him but number one that's also true for all of the other players right for every one of these other guys you also have to say yeah but they were on this defense where everybody else was great so they had easier jobs that's true for all of them so you can't like single one guy out and be like 
That's the reason the Kobe Dean isn't going to be as good as he was in college. But all these other players will actually be better than they were in college. That doesn't make any sense. That's just logically not sound. Number two, with the, those players, it's still a really good defense around him. Like he's got one, Jordan Davis is still in front of him now. Um, but even the rest of these but players. But it's rookie Jordan Davis, not senior Jordan Davis. Whatever. The point is he's got talent around him now. And with that in mind, he was way better than everybody else on that defense certainly than a lot of the guys he was just a dominant force you could see him understand the play fly around the field one of the things that's talked about a lot in terms of his positives is how smart he is how quickly he's able to learn a playbook get in you know if he's that guy there's no reason he can't start on this defense and if he starts he could be a real playmaker for them is this your favorite linebacking core in the nfl TJ Edwards, yes. Nicobe Dean, best, no, your favorite, I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, look, I was, I'm a huge Nicobe Dean fan. I think he can be a fantastic player. I love TJ Edwards because I think he's one of the best stories in the NFL. In a league where we're still trending, you know, every single draft, right? Who are who are the linebackers that are going to get drafted high? It's the physical freaks, the athletic monsters, the guys that aren't necessarily any good, but tick the athletic boxes. In in a league where that is becoming more and more important, I think than ever. It's very difficult to be a good linebacker in today's NFL if you're not a freaky athlete just because of what they're asked to do. T.J. Edwards has had to do it the hard way, the whole way. The guy has always performed and graded well for us. And in coverage, like in the hardest thing to do, had to be an undrafted player, had to earn his way through good special teams, good preseason play, eventually got given a starting job and has been the best linebacker okay not a high bar to clear but the best linebacker the eagles have had for a number of years i i I like that it's still possible to do that in the nfl to just do it the hard way like get to being a good caliber starting player despite marginal physical tools just by being good and just being a hard worker and grinding your way through uh what the eagles uh kazir white also comes in pretty good pretty good linebacking court too in general um but he's a nice addition to that zone heavy scheme the the eagles finished fifth amazingly again in pass rush grade once again last year do they have enough to do that that's what they always do right they were very conservative on the back end will they be a little bit more aggressive instead of remember they were giving up 80 percent completions in the beginning of the season and they just kept going and going and going um can they continue to rush the passer brandon graham does he still have, does he have anything left? Reddick, who you mentioned as a specialist, Javon Hargrave, Jordan Davis making things better, Josh Sweat, Derek Barnett, Milton Williams. They probably have the depth. They, they could legitimately roll eight deep just with that group. Are you officially uh, ending the Brandon Graham 10 sack bet? Yeah, it's not. It doesn't auto renew. It does. It didn't people, auto renew last year. The people said it does. You need, to, people, you need to specify. People don't know. So this is your opportunity. Specify yay or nay. Yeah, give me something like an opt out subscription or like i will opt out of the uh Graham subscription i opt out of the 10 sack on the air yeah let's find someone else okay to have a sack bet about right yeah so anyway i don't know if they'll be able to get back there pass rush wise javon hargrave 91.6 pass rush grade last year he was fantastic rushing the passer can they replicate all that fletcher cox getting a little bit older might be tough but a lot of good pieces in place for the Eagles this year, man. And yep. they got the hype and A.J. Brown. and What's our win total? Nine and a half. Over. Hit it. Hammer the over for the Hit Eagles. Hit it. I'll go over as well. They might win the division. You like the Cowboys over 10, but you think the Eagles might win the division. Yeah. All right. I mean, the Eagles could be a 12-win team. Absolutely. 
All right, let's wrap it up. Washington Commanders. They're over-unders eight. R.I.P. the football team. More than the Giants. Yes. The football team. Two years of glory. The football um, team, by the way, is objectively better than Commanders. Yeah, kind of like WFT. Yeah. I also still can't believe that they didn't take the layup of the Sentinels and yeah. just use the, uh, the replacement stuff. A lot of mistakes made here. A lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. Commanders bring in Carson Wentz. Made the big trade to bring him in. Speaking of mistakes. Oh, wow. Sorry, was that too, too on the nose? Once had a 70 grade last year. Mediocre production right in the middle there. Um, offensive line was solid. Defensive line was has been good the last couple of years, but injury prone with Chase Young being hurt. Chase Young might miss the beginning of the season. It's the most, the most recent report. We expected regression from Washington last year because of their schedule, because their defense was so good in 2020. Yeah, I actually didn't, and I got proved very wrong. Oh, okay. I expected regression, as yeah. did the other nerds. Yeah. But what happened was they regressed, mm, and it hard. didn't look good. And the secondary didn't. But will that work the other way now? Uh, we liked William Jackson as a free agent signing last year because of what he was capable of not because he was consistently doing it every year uh he's still capable but he didn't show it last year so there's a lot of pieces that could get better next yeah. year particularly on the back end no i I, this year. I agree i think there are a lot of ways that this team could be could bounce back and regress positively from a year ago um again though you just look at what they're going up against in terms of competition you're like yeah Okay, Carson Wentz, whatever you think of him, should be significantly better than Taylor Heineke last year because Taylor Heineke was bad last year. Taylor Heineke did not play a year ago the way he, we thought he might, even if he had to come in for Fitzpatrick. And that was one of the reasons of confidence a year ago is that, hey, you're probably going to get league average play from Fitzpatrick. It's going to be a roller coaster, but it'll shake out to average. And he, even if they decide to bench Fitz on one of the downswings, you know, on the, one of the troughs, the nadirs of his play, you bring in Taylor Heineke. And so far, we've seen like an amazing playoff game and some, you know, it'll be about the same. It wasn't. Like Fitz went down early, Taylor Heineke came in, and he just, he just didn't play well. I, for, I forgot about your bold pick, your, yeah. your bold prediction that Fitz was going to take him to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, so the role, I mean, there was no roller coaster for Heineke. It was just down, you know, like the roller coaster went like crawled up that and then it went down the thing and then didn't come back up. It just stayed at the bottom. It just kept on going. So whatever you think about Wentz, and I think we've seen at this point that you probably shouldn't be that excited. He should at least give you viable quarterback play, which you didn't really have last year from Heineke. We did get an email. Um, we'll, we'll have to address it later. An email about Carson Wentz and his play almost, pretty much being directly correlated to pass blocking. I, I, I have to look at it closer because there was a case made. We have to have a rebuttal. But um, my understanding is that he's always had pretty good pass blocking until 2020. He had good pass blocking as a rookie, excellent as in his second year of the MVP caliber season. Wentz has almost always had pretty good pass blockers in front of him last year in indianapolis what should have been one of the best offensive lines really regressed they they couldn't really figure out left tackle and quentin nelson wasn't as good and then he was hurt so they he didn't wentz didn't have the best offensive line there and we didn't love their group of playmakers either but the colts also they're another team that quietly put up a ton of points right they quietly had a pretty efficient offense i guess my point is is this situation for wentz actually a little bit better than what he had in Indianapolis. You, you don't have Jonathan Taylor. You don't have the great running back who did exceed all expectations last year as far as mm -hmm. just on the field, like what was in front of him. So maybe you don't have the same kind of run game. 
we got a pretty good offensive line that came together last year you have terry mclaurin better than anybody the colts have at receiver Jahan dotson comes in in the first round curtis samuels here logan thomas at tight end probably a better situation than indy other than the dome Missing which the is dome. pretty big domes are big i'm a big fan of uh weighing the dome you know that weighing the dome um I, I, it's not worse i'm not sure it's better um i think the, the problem at this point is yeah the personnel might be better i think the coaching situation is not and we saw um like frank reich went out on a limb last year to bring in carson wentz and say i can get him back to 20 19 levels and we have a good starting quarterback after a year of that frank reich drop kicked this guy out of the building as fast as he humanly possibly could and apologized reportedly for effectively vouching for him in the first place when that's the guy when that's your defender and after a year of you being back together he's like yeah my bad screw this up i'm sorry i'm sorry for even bringing it up i will abase myself in shame that's really bad i mean when you put it that way there should be no optimism in washington at all frank reich did a great job with carson wentz last year i think a lot that offense did a good job of protecting him wentz played reasonably well within it until a couple of like meltdowns but the fact that that guy wanted rid of you after a year does not say speak well to how to what you bring to the table so a i think the coaching around him isn't quite as good as it was a year ago in indy and b you're probably bringing the same things to the table. So that's not good either. So I just think, yeah, you're going to get better play than you got from Taylor Heineke. I just don't think it's going to be that much better to the point where, you know, it completely transforms any expectations. I think I was saying this last year at the time. I, I thought the Colts, remember we talked all about like, oh, Wentz only had, he had like one turnover worthy play in his first six games. And then he played in the rainstorm and then whatever. He was kind of all over the place, but generally taking care of the ball better. And I'm like, man, that, I, that's just not what I want out of Carson Wentz. Same thing I've said through the years about Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr. I, I don't want them dinking and dunking. And his average depth of target Wentz was 8.4. It's on the lower end of even his career. His best year, he was over 10. That's the 2017 season. I just kind of want him to let it go, let it rip. He does have a big arm. He does throw a great deep out and um he's got a he's got a strong arm velocity can can reach the intermediate deep levels throw the ball well make plays outside of structure but his last three years under seven yards per attempt you know like it's this conservative so Carson Wentz I I don't care I, I would say get out there and make some bad decisions every now and again but I make some big plays for me I compared him to Cam Newton when he came out and I think what we were seeing is the same problematic conundrum facing coaches that had cam newton throughout his career which is the thing that he's great at is the thing that causes a lot of the problems so he's really good at making these insane really high degree of difficulty but really impactful big plays deep down the field yeah if but leaning into that and saying all right this is what you do well go for it go nuts it just it it causes like an explosion of bad plays to offset them right and that's where you get the, the, the Jameis Winston syndrome. I don't think teams necessarily lean into it with Jameis Winston or coaches, but that's kind of how he plays. And in order to get the best out of him, you also need to accept the fact that that's going to lead to 30 interceptions at the same time. Now, Wentz doesn't have those interceptions, but he does have a high degree of turn or high percentage of turnover-worthy plays. But I think his coaches generally so far have tried to steer him away, you know, try to keep the bad plays in check. 
And in doing that, you cut the legs out from the thing that he does really well. And that was the problem with Cam Newton, right? It's, he's so good at these big plays. How do we just increase the efficiency of everything else? And they went through two or three different iterations of trying to modify that. And none of them really worked because they all had the effect of taking away the thing that he was doing that was so valuable. And if you take that away and he still doesn't get any better at the other stuff, now you just have a not great quarterback. That's the problem with Wentz. If you don't lean in to the really big plays, the special throws that he can make, you just neutralize, you, you neuter him and you end up with this like, eh, okay. But if you do lean into it, now you just end up with an explosion of bad plays that offsets the good stuff that he does. I think it's a tough one for an organization because they don't always think in those terms, especially coaches. Coaches are like, we run this offense. We want you to make good decisions in the offense. A lot of times the good decision is the check down and you just, you always make the good decision. But remember, I did the study a couple of years ago. When you are, when you have a mid-tier quarterback and mid-tier quarterbacks, again, they're QB 10 to 20 or whatever it is. Those guys have top 10 caliber seasons, right? Your mid-tier quarterback. Carson Wentz has had a top 10 caliber season. Matthew Stafford throughout his career. Cam Newton, all those guys have had top 10 caliber seasons. The way you get that is aggressiveness, right? So at a high level, you say, if I'm saddled with this quarterback, just like uh, Quezzy got into some issues because he said Kirk Cousins isn't Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, right? Mm. Well, he's not, right? And so he's, from this perspective, he's saying, if I have Kirk Cousins, is there this high-end strategy we should employ to maximize our output? And when you have Kirk Cousins or Carson Wentz or Jameis Winston or Derek Carr or Matthew Stafford or whoever it is, Nick Foles, I think you lean aggressive. You lean aggressive. And when you lean aggressive, maybe 2017 Wentz, that type of production comes back. Or Nick Foles goes on a Super Bowl run. You lean aggressive. But the problem is that that relies – you can't get that essentially without relying on an outlier season. So 2017 Wentz, even at the time, we were saying, when you look at the ways that this season is great, insane production on third down, insane production in, like, long, you know, to-go situations, like 10-plus yards, like all these ways that are massively unsustainable. Like, this is going to regress, and we're never going to see this particular guy again. This is not a good reflection of how good Carson Wentz actually is. This is like saying, what if you get the best possible run from a guy? What does it look like? But well, this is, is it. But that's what you want, But the right? problem is, so now if you say, well, let's lean back into that. Let's try and get that guy back again. You're going to spend the next five years, and he won't hit that. This is like your thing with Jameis Winston, right? You lean Yeah, into chase it. the outlier season, because you don't, you don't want the liar season. You want the outlier season. You don't want, like... 70 grade Carson Wentz or 72 grade Carson Wentz you're not going anywhere with that you have to chase the outlier season if you have certain quarterbacks but they're outliers for a reason and you're probably never getting it so you end up just like hitting your head against a brick wall with this dude like you get you get you get James's career so far which is the same thing every year waiting for that one year where he stops throwing interceptions this is the year for James wait till our (laughs) NFC South preview Saints going all the way this year with James I'm just saying, if you have a guy that's massively volatile like that, I don't think you should just be hammering the same like button and hoping that this is the year where he stops throwing at the defenses. The other part of Wentz's outlier season is the playmakers were so good. They had great tight ends, Alshon Jeffrey. They had great receivers. Do they have that potential in Washington? Yeah, mentioned McLaurin as the one. 
Jahan Dotson again. I, I, I'm I'm more confident in him now than I was at draft time for whatever reason. Just kind of <laughs> relooked at the model, things like that. You know what I'm saying? Just saying. You know the, the excels Excel spitting out some better numbers than it was at the time. Um, he can go up and get it if, if he is legit. He's got great hands. Great hands. If he is legit, it's a really nice one-two punch. That is what Carson Wentz needs to to get back to that defensively. It is still the best young defensive line in the league. Montez Sweat, Chase Young when he's healthy, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne's got one more year here. Um, big year for Chase Young. Big year for Chase Young. Despite, Whenever he gets, and comes back healthy. Yeah, like a big year and he's working behind the curve because he's not going to be healthy to the start. I, I still view Chase Young as Miles Garrett in Bosa level as a prospect, but to this point, it's been only as a prospect, right? I mean, he's yeah. he's played well on the field. He has not touched their NFL level of production in his one and a half years basically yet so i think he has it in him i think he'll get there but it is a big year for chase young to be that guy and then to me it comes down to that secondary does william jackson the third reverse course kendall fuller was solid back there number two corner benjamin say juiced he's got to be play better if the secondary regresses positively regresses after negatively regressing last year now we're talking about a dangerous washington defense yeah, I mean, I think I think the defense is better than it was a year ago because it would be very difficult to be as bad as it was a year ago. And as we talk about ways you can spot regression, that 2017 thing of Carson Wentz, there were a bunch of ways where this Washington defense was so much worse from a personnel st- or from a, a numbers point of view than it should have been in various situations. Like it, it, it had the exact opposite performance of that 2017 Wentz season, where in weird situations it was somehow it was somehow intensified how bad they were that shouldn't happen this year so if it if it just regresses back to normality in those situations they'll be way better david mayo is a football player on washington as well what a linebacking group that is david mayo jamin davis cole holcomb good crew second best your second favorite linebacking core behind the <laughs> eagles maybe i mean we, any any linebacking core that's david mayo on we it. still need to like have our own my guy show but it's a big year for jamin davis because I think we've reached this point now where most linebackers come into the NFL and struggle pretty badly year one. Now, yeah. Micah Parsons screws that up by being a freak show. But generally, a lot of off-the-ball linebackers are going to come in and they're going to have a really rough year one. But then it can go one of two ways. Then you can either take a massive step forward because you've caught up to the sort of the mental aspect of the game, which is on any given play, you're, you're putting a bind like two or three different ways and you have to process that in a heartbeat – Linebackers have become, I remember years ago, um, Mike Mayock sat in on a, a, some quarterback room and he said, like he thought he was pretty well up from all the scouting stuff. Like he thought he knew what a quarterback's job was essentially and, and you know, what they were expected to do. And he was like blown away by the amount of stuff those guys had to process in like half a second after the snap. He's like, it's insane. And we just take that as red now. Like that's just part of the gig linebacker i think has become essentially the same thing where those guys now have to do the same level of processing as quarterbacks after the play in a heartbeat and not take a step in the wrong direction because if you do that one step means you're out of the play you you can no longer recover that that's that's how hard it is to play linebacker now um so when you come in from college where a lot of your thing is like here's your key yes or no go right like the jump is insane so they're all going to struggle year one but some of those guys are going to get it after a year and some of those guys are not so the question i think for linebackers is going into year two and and jamin davis you could see this all over his tape the guy's an athletic specimen he's insanely talented 
but you could almost see the cogs turning and how you could see the hesitation and that hesitation was enough to let somebody else get there where he was supposed to be and all of a sudden he's just out of the play he's blocked take him out of position now if he's accelerated the processing part in year two we could see a completely different player all of a sudden he's he's a step ahead of where he was last year literally every single play that's that changes the player he is or you can have you can become you know patrick queen where you basically didn't change from year one to year two now you're just a bad linebacker devin bush (laughs) there's a lot of these guys right so it can go one of two ways and i don't think there's any way of knowing until we see him in action in year two what does this look like i've been doing some studies recently on progression and various things like that linebacker we i talk a lot about third year breakout for linemen and all that stuff linebacker is an interesting one where they kind of take a leap forward in year five recently five six and seven and then there's some selection bias once you get into years nine ten and eleven right so you have fewer players and the guys that stuck around but year 9, 10, 11 linebackers play much better than early <laughs> career linebackers. Again, there's some selection bias. You have to adjust for that. But it is one of those positions where experience matters a lot. You don't always see that year two or three breakout across the league is all I'm saying. Um, I, I like the way you described it. Is it as difficult as quarterback as far as processing now? Yeah. I mean, you have the shortest passing game in the NFL in history, which means linebackers are being targeted. You have less help as a linebacker than any other time in history because you're playing more nickel. You have fewer bodies in front of you. Yeah. So now you have to take on and blocks. around you. And around you, right? You have to take on blocks. You have to play. You have to be a thumper and play in space. Well, you also can't, And understand zone concepts more than ever. Yeah, and you can't key the way you used to. I mean, you know, you've brought up that Eric has sort of discovered that over the last couple of years, linebackers are biting less on play action. It's because the reason that worked is it used to be a very binary thing where you would just read the key of your offensive lineman and go. And that's why play action worked because they were giving you run keys with the offensive line, but running a pass play, right? right? So you would read the run key, start running forward three yards, and then, oh, it's a pass play, reverse, abort, yeah. right? And run back. Now the run and the pass game has become so integrated, you can't tell that way. You have to read a bunch of other things, and it's way harder. And you can't take that step out of position because you need to be able to get back into the zone. And you need to understand not just your zone, but where the route is coming from because that changes the, the target point, the your coordinates that you need to get to. It's just playing linebacker now has become almost an impossible task. And you can see it in the PFF grades. You used to have guys that had like one job, right? run headfirst at a fullback every play and it's i mean it's an idiot proof job but you know now any linebacker that's playing any period of time the amount of crap you need to cover on any given play is genuinely unreasonable and yet that's the job so all that's why you know pff grades a hardly any of them are grading well b it's why even guys we know have all pro caliber talent fred warner Eric Kendricks, really elite players, can have relatively crappy seasons because you catch a few. Yeah. The NFL is attacking them too. Yes. Like the NFL, everything more than doing any other position. Them. Linebackers yeah. are the victims of where the where offense has gone in the last ten years. And it makes you bring up like, should you invest more in linebackers? Because when you have one, now it's an advantage, right? If you have one that p- performs well in all those areas, it's an advantage. Should you actually just trend toward veterans, right? Guys that nah, you have, you talking. know what they can do. And you're trying, even though they're getting older and they're slower, just being in positions the biggest thing. Which, by the way, Rams bringing in a Bobby Wagner. 
underrated, right? And they took a and they noticeably just said, forget linebacker for a few years. We're yeah. going to focus on other things. We want a Super Bowl doing it. But now, the one is thing, that an advantage? The one just thing you him? don't need to worry about with Bobby Wagner is will he be there mentally yeah. diagnosing what's going on? He yeah. 100% will be. And then it's the case of what he has left in the tank physically. Could be a real underrated signing for the Rams when you, you say you replace a, a Vaughn Miller, right? A shinier, flashier pass rusher. Well, that's it, man. Commanders, what do we say? Over or under? Eight. Under. Now I'll go under as well. There you go. So look, trending under for these NFC teams. I am optimistic about the AFC. Yeah. At some point. Well, that's that where all to, the talent went. That has to run out. <clears throat> uh, uh, we have breaking news. Yeah. Mahomes and Moore not on the same page there. Mahomes <laughs> throwing out and up, Moore running it out. Okay. Hashtag Chiefs. It's all right. Miscommunications happen. It's early in training camp. It's wow. fine. Get, get Sky Moore right out of the Hall of Fame. Look, we, we, A, we need to wrap this thing up because we're going on for a day and a half at this point. Go to PFF underscore Sam and donate money to charity so we can see me pitch a baseball. Go do that. And then come back, join us on Thursday as we preview two more divisions for two and a half hours. Yeah. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you on Thursday.